live from the William Howard Taft Memorial Auditorium, high above the New Haven skyline in the Pivotal Film Towers, honoring the best films of 2022, it's the fifth annual Pivotal Film I had some jokes lined up, but then I figured the year in 2022 was a joke. So. Yeah, that's what we should have gotten for this. For this, uh, ah, should have got like 2022. Yeah, you did good. 2022's filmography is the joke. <laughs> it's not all a joke, Mario. No, it's not all a joke. We have we have some some good movies in here. You know, it's it's the year. Uh, I I looked it up before we get into the the deep the deep part of this episode. Um, I did look at years past. I, usually I watch 85 to 90 movies in uh-huh. a year. This year I'm at 80, so I dropped a little bit. Um, I have no idea how many movies I watched. Yeah, I just I always list all the ones I've watched. I will say there's there's kind of three movies I think that came out. Um, kind of, they're 2022 movies, but I think we're looking at them and for 2023. We'll probably forget about them. I mean, Portrait of Lady on Fire was supposed to be a 2019 movie, but it was a 2020 movie. Uh-huh. But uh, No Bears never came out. Uh, just never came Yeah, it never came out. Um, Living just still hasn't come out. And uh, EO, I think, are the big three. Because we ended up getting St. Omar. We're, I had the film independent screener. Yeah. Um, you came over to watch that. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, so stuff like that is included in, in the list. I would all say this. You know, the $98 for uh, Film Independent were pretty good at the end of the year. It's worth it every year. It's, it's, it is a chunk like to lay down to kind of not get very much because we don't live in Los Angeles. If we lived in Los Angeles, we can go to oh, a different be, ec- screening all the fucking time. If you live in Los Angeles and are a film person, like, fucking do it. Right. There was actually, I forget which... I think it was a pandemic year, and they were hosting a, like an in-person screening for something. And I was like, "Can I get?" It was a brief moment. I was like, "Can I get to LA?" Well, yeah, because there's like how a, do I do this? There was an in-person thing this year for like Todd Field with Tar, like yeah. doing Q and A. It's like, oh come on! And all you have to do is like, if you're ready, if you have an account and you're paying for it, you can just be like two. Yeah, you might not and get. I assume. Tickets. I assume probably a lot of people won't get it, but like, there's a ton of screenings. So well, I think there's probably there's stuff. like auditoriums. So I'm assuming it's less like an award show, just kind of like how we do here, yeah, where like the thousand, people that matter like are on the bottom, and then the people that like you know the film independent people who don't matter are up in the balcony, yeah, somewhere, just like where we put Lawrence Kasdan's family every year. Exactly. Yeah. So speaking of mattering, I think we should get right to it because we always have to divide this thing into seventeen episodes. <laughs> Um, before we began, we did rock, paper, scissors, and we'll do that before the top 10 movies of the year. But as we do every year, the top 10 moments, Tom won the rock, paper, scissors with a nice scissors over my paper. It was good, yeah. It was tense. Uh, and, and Tom has elected to start with his 10. Um, yeah, so I don't, I, I, what I, my moments are really, maybe we could use the beginning of the, the moments to just kind of like sum up our feelings. Like, I know we wanted to move fast. I just had like a couple of things I wanted to say. My moments this year are not directly related to like the best movies of the year, my favorite movies of Same. the year per se. Um, I remember last year, my top three moments were all from nine days. Definitely not the case this year where like my top moments are, you know, directly reflected in like my best of the year. List. I actually made a rule 
that all in my top ten moments, and I'm going to do this from now on, have to all come <clears throat> from different movies. I, I I have that too. Yeah, yeah. So that's my new rule. Um, but it was I thought it was a it was an eclectic year. It was a weird year. I think I'm getting to the point where I'm I'm looking for something very specific in a movie that doesn't give that to me. I'm just kind of out. Like I I'm I I jump out of it very quickly. Um, so my these top ten moments are, you know, the moments that stuck with me. There are also moments in films. A little bit that I was, in some cases, I was surprised I stuck around for that I watched all the way through. And in some cases, it was because of these moments. I think my first moment, my number 10 moment, is one of these moments. It's from, ah, damn it, Mario, I'm not ready. You didn't remember the movie? I remember the movie. I just wanted to get the director. (laughs) Oh, okay. I wanted to have the director, so I'll vamp for a little bit. Um, I did put it on the list of stuff to check out, and it does show up in one other place on my list later in the podcast i'm trying to fill the air right now oh boy i'm filling it with my time you know while you're thinking while you're looking at this i'm gonna mention my honorable mentions yeah yeah go ahead um so i had two honorable mentions because every year i have a couple honorable mentions you know um my two honorable mentions just really quick conversations about them uh the second conversation with the priest and banshees at inishire reason doesn't make my list is that movie as a totality is moments that you could kind of like point out. Mm-hmm. That said conversation with the priest is the one that spoke to me the most. So that's mm-hmm. why it's there. Okay. Um, and then Isabella Rossellini's kind of like build up to like, and, and eventually her, her death, death. But she does the poem, uh, Nanny Connie yeah. and Marcel, the shell with shoes on. Spoilers. That's a movie we'll be talking about a lot. There you see. Oh, you saw it and you liked it. That's nice. That's nice. Um, the movie is directed by Andrew Siemens. It is, uh, Resurrection. Did you watch? End up watching Resurrection. Resurrection. So there's this. There's this. It stars Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth, and um, she sees Tim Roth at some kind of event, and she like runs away, and she's there's like a trauma, and we'll talk a little bit about that um, later in the episode. Um, you know that idea of, of seeing the trauma, but there's this thing that Tim Roth says in the movie where they had a child together, and that child has died as a baby, but Tim Roth keeps telling Rebecca Hall's character. Ben, the baby's name is Ben, is in me. He keeps pointing to his belly. Ben is in me. He's inside me. I had to, I had to do it to, to, to keep him alive because you left us. I had to put Ben inside me. At some point in the movie, uh, Rebecca Hall kills Tim Roth. And the whole time I'm doing this, the whole time this movie's going on, I was like, I really hope it's, I hope they do it. I want them to do it. I'm watching this movie on purpose. I want to see if they do it. There's like a big twist in this, right? Because you know, you know uh, I, I, I do, I do remember. I just, I do want to see it. I think. It's I don't know if there's so maybe stuff. spoiler. Maybe you could plug your ears. I don't know if it's a twist because the, through the whole movie, you're just kind of like, that would be really awesome. Yeah. If they did it, and they do it, and so she kills him, and then she guts him, and she pulls out all of his guts, and then there's a baby in there. Hell yeah. And you're just, yeah, that's what I said. I was like, all right, they did it. Awesome. Him and Rory Kinnear have something they can connect with. Super cool. It was, it was, <laughs> it was one of those things that like they didn't have to, they could have suggested it. Um, you know, the movie goes on for five minutes too long after that. Like that's the end of the movie as far as I'm concerned. And there's like a, there's like a motif that they use um, to kind of signify like what's actually happening. But I was so proud of them for going for going it. There, yeah. And like there's a baby. Inside of Tim Roth. It was awesome. I was so, I was so psyched. 
That's my number 10 moment of the year. Well, my number 10 moment of the year. We're going to start we're going to start out hot. Tom, let's burn it down. What? What are you going to say to that? You got to lean in. Mhm. Right? Like Rowan Campbell would do and say, "Oh, like the match." My number 10 moment is the entire Come to me by Johnny Goth, like musical moment that kind of like carries out and then goes back from Halloween ends. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like that, yeah, dun, yeah, dun, yeah. Like where he eventually kills Doug, he lures Doug, and that's where Michael Myers like regains his power. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something about Halloween ends doesn't. Will be mentioned one more time later on. It's, so it's not in my top 10. It's. Rowan Campbell is definitely in my long, long list of people. Uh, something about this movie worked for me, mm-hmm. and it's that it surrounds that moment that Johnny Goff song. Uh, I wanted to nominate for best original song; it would have clearly won, but he didn't make it for the movie. Uh-huh. Um, that entire sequence and just kind of like the nerdiness of it, uh, the camera pushing in on Rowan Campbell, where like um, Andy uh, Machat um, or whatever he's your name invites him in. He's like. There's something hokey about it, but something endearing. Uh, this movie went for what it was trying to do, and it fully went for it. And like when it did that, I was kind of like really on board. Mm-hmm. It's my number ten. Uh, my number nine is the entire um, f- filming—not uh, the filming, but the the showing of Skip Day and the uh, oh, subsequent, the yeah, the subsequent kind of like bully meets Sammy um, in the. Uh, hallway confrontation from the Fablemans. Um, I spoke about this kind of on ends in in the Fableman mm-hmm. discussion. Uh, I think that kind of is like the centrifuge by which the entire film revolves around. Um, you get a really strong, you know, uh, Gabriel LaBelle performance, Gabriel LaBelle mm-hmm. performance throughout that. Um, and, and the guy who played the bully was definitely actually on my long list. I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head. Um, but that kind of, you know, beyond kind of like the Paul Dano stuff, which is good, and the Michelle Williams stuff, which is not good. Um, Poor Michelle Williams. Forms like the emotional. Gosh, she'll fucking get her Oscar nomination. I don't, sure. I don't I think know. she does. Um, I don't know, bud. But every, that is kind of the moment that I like, cooked me in it because there was a lot of sincerity and a lot of kind of like, um, I don't know, it felt the most empathetic moment mm-hmm. in that movie to me. And so yeah, that is my number nine. This is a good, that, that was, a, the Fablemans actually got totally shut out of everything that's going to happen for me going forward. Um, but for the I most did, part, I too, liked it. For the most part, actually, me as well. Okay, cool. I mean, I guess cool, whatever. It's not like, <laughs> you know, we have to line up with that. Um, my number nine is from a film called, from a director who we're going to talk about a lot tonight, called um, I Know This Much To Be True. It's directed by Andrew Dominic. It is a documentary about uh, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis's um musical relationship when in reality it's just kind of doing the thing that they've been doing with Andrew Dominic for a couple of films now, which is like, it's mostly performance with some interstitial kind of documentary stuff. Um, his film, uh, one more time with feeling is on my pivotal film list that they made after, um, the death of Nick Cave's son, um, when they were touring before they, um, went out to tour for skeleton tree. Um, this is about, um, the songs from, Carnage and from Ghostine, which they didn't get a chance to perform live at all because of the stupid pandemic. Uh, but this movie really interestingly opens with a really, really long sequence of Nick Cave showing off um, 
some ceramics that he was making during the pandemic. He like the film opens with Nick Cave going, "I'm a ceramicist now," and he puts on his smock over his like Nick Cave suit, and he has his hair, and he's made this this series of ceramic figurines about the life of the devil, and like from a baby devil to like an old man devil, and it's just fucking wild. And he's just like sets them down in front of the camera, and he like tells you about them, and he's just like, "This was." This was really hard. It was really hard to get the color right on this. And it's like a statue of the devil with flames all around him. It's just really funny. Um, it kind of speaks to a little bit of the situation that we're in. It's like maybe not as a culture, but like where we were like during the pandemic, we were just like trying to do stuff. And Andrew Dominic, apparently there's a book that kind of corresponds to this whole era of Nick Cave's life called Faith, um, Faith, Hope and Carnage where it's a conversation between him and another guy and like Andrew Dominic's life fell apart at that exact same moment. So he was just kind of where Nick Cave was and they were just meeting and he was just like, I just wanted to show him my, my stuff. Like, so this whole thing has a kind of um, that whole sequence where the, 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 the musical performances are very like staged, you know, there's like, there's cameras going all over the place and like lots of lights and what have you. This seems very off the cuff. Like Andrew Dominic had a camera and was just sitting and like letting some weirdo tell him about like this, the really nice ceramics that he made. And it's really, it's, it's, it's good. Um, my number eight, I don't know if you're going to, I'll mention this movie one more time on my list. I don't know if we're going to mention it at all with yours. Although I wouldn't be surprised if we do is the first encounter with uh, JBL and we're all going to the world's fair. Um, Casey goes into the, Casey's been having a tough time. She's she's playing We're All Going to the World's Fair online. Um, and she goes into this shed that they have on her, on her property, I guess. And, you know, this movie is kind of handheld, um, very low budget. Um, you know, it's usually just Casey in front of her computer camera, but at this point it's not. And she's watching a video of, I guess, who we assume to be her mom. And there's Casey's face and then all of a sudden, her face like melts. And it's a message from this guy, JBL, who was like also playing the game. Um, and it freaks her out. And it freaked me out. And it worked. It's one of the things that we're going to kind of, I'm going to do in these moments is that there's a, some of these, um, not quite horror movies, but these like psychological, like weirdness films. There's these moments that like hook you. And that was the moment where it like dug itself into me. And I was like, okay, I'll spend the next 50 minutes with this. Or maybe it was even less than that. I was like, I'll watch the rest of this movie. Even though like I kind of guessed where it was going and what was going to happen. Not what was going to happen per se, but like, you know, only so much could happen in a movie that was like made like this and like uh, with this story. Um, and it was just, it was, you could see, I, I, you could tell how it was done. People are doing this shit on Twitter all the time. I don't know if you've seen that stupid shit with Nancy Pelosi's face where like some Republican me made it and like her face is melting and like a hand comes in and like gives her an injection. It's like the same kind of like very basic like internet technology, but it's, it's done so effectively and in the context that it's placed in is um, so perfect that it really, um, I don't know, I, 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 uh, I see that image in my head all the time. It, in, in, but most importantly, and this is a theme that's going to run through the whole thing for me, it injected a really visceral... Um, sense of um not dread but um excitement and that's and i i wanted i want those visceral what i wanted most this year was like the visceral feeling of something of something going to happen um something real 
something tangible inside myself and this um, that moment like delivered it. I don't know if the whole rest of the movie delivered similar moments, even though it gets a little cool at the end. Um, but that moment, like, it didn't scare me, but it like shook me and it grabbed me and it was good. That's kind of my issue with the movie is kind of like it was cool, but like nothing really. I admire I admire it a lot. For, yeah, like what it, for what it for what it did, especially I, for it being so constrained in terms of its budget and like going for it. When yeah. It could. Um, speaking of things that kind of like kind of hook you or kind of like freak you out, uh, my number eight uh, taps in. Have I ever told you I have a weird pho- phobia? Uh, Bora, it's a boraphobia. What's that? It's a fear of being eaten alive or swallowed. No, you have that. Yeah, like cannibalism in movies and all that creeps me the fuck out. But uh, this movie tapped into it, and I think overall, this movie's fairly mediocre. But um, there, there's like three or four sequences in this film that really work, and this is definitively one of it. Uh, this is the traveling in Jean Jacket's belly in Nope. Mm. Uh, when mm. you see the woman kind of like... Oh, yeah, yeah. And this was apparently done, I think, in reshoots. But it looks like, you know, it looks like just basically like two pieces of sheet. Mm-hmm. She's traveling up. Um, and, you know, when you initially see everyone kind of get sucked up in, in that, that first sequence with Stephen Yang's character, um, it's cool, but it doesn't really have a visceral feeling. Yeah. And this has that visceral feeling, which then <clears> eventually leads into... You know, when the jean jacket flies over and you hear the screams yeah. uh, with OJ. Um, yeah, I think, like, in terms of terrifying sequences in film, because this is a big year in horror, you'll see. Uh, <clears throat> I think that was the one moment that was, like, the most viscerally cutting into me, going, like, oh, shit, that's fucked up. Yeah. And uh, that just worked so well for me. Um, my number seven is a movie that. I liked, uh, but overall was definitely a disappointment because I had too high of expectations for Mm -hmm. it. Um, I still think it's a really well done movie. I'll talk about it. I will talk about it later, slightly. Um, I'll mention it later. Uh, But this is the opening credits uh, dance um, from After Yang. Uh, Oh, yeah. By, you know, you get that that song, um, Family of Four. Yep. By, uh, what is her name? Asuka Matsumia. And, you know, it's 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 yeah. Yang yep. and and the family of three just doing this dance because every week in this, you know, near future, alternate future thing, you just do this dance. Um, and it's a dance competition with like millions, thousands of families. And it just sets this like tone. And that quickly cuts it off. Yeah. That tone. Like the, the tone of it is exciting and uplifting, and they're having fun and dancing, and then you know, Yang then kind of shuts down. Um, but I think that kind of, that moment was just so enthralling and mm-hmm. I watched, and it's kind of weird. Cause I think, I think with Columbus, uh, Koganada kind of like presents you with something for the beginning and main, like, and it's kind of, it is kind of like a, the father, you know, being sick and it does kind of like slightly turn, but it kind of follows the same sense of melancholy. Mm-hmm. Whereas this kind of like sets like something and then kind of dips down the melancholy. Well, I think it's interesting because I think um, you're 100% right on that. And I think it could, it, I was okay with it switching tones. If I was the too. The tone but that it, it, it never reestablishes. Right. Kind of but I kind of feel change. the same way because we're going to, I have it like in one more spot on my list as well. I have a little more. It's not yeah. here. Um, Maybe two. Is that one or two spots? It never reestablishes what the new tone is. It just kind of goes, and I again, I I admire it, and we talked about this when we talked about it on the on podcast. I I and I I really dislike when I say like this movie should have been this, but there was an opportunity here for this movie to be something else, and it just kind of like no didn't it just yeah. it didn't want to do it or it didn't he didn't trust the audience to kind of like go along with him, 
Um, just I think I think it wanted to have like this sense of melancholy, and it just didn't want to like travel heavily through that. Right. Um, and I was kind of like a lot more forgiving, and definitely had this movie in a lot a few more places beforehand. But then there's another film I watched. I was like, oh no, this is definitively the melancholy movie of the mm. year, mm. Um, which will pop up a ton on my list in big ways. Um, so not huge, not huge, but just I'll mention it. Not right. huge, but big. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I I do think as though mm-hmm. like in terms of like grabbing you, mm-hmm. like that moment is great. Um, yeah, I I really like After Yang. I think After Yang is one of those movies we always do this. Maybe we can like preface this now instead of doing it later when we do like our categories. That like After Yang is one of those movies that's like right on the edge of like all the categories. And if I wanted to, maybe not all of them, but like a lot of them. If I wanted to, I did this with Pattinson a couple of years ago. Like when we talk about Colin Farrell later. Like, I could... Nope, not talk about Colin Farrell. I could throw him... I didn't nominate him. I could throw him into, like, the After Yang performance as as part of that, like I did with Pattinson for The Lighthouse and and, uh, High Life. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things, but um, it's... I I like it. It's one of those movies I think I'll go back to once I've kind of, like, forgiven it for, like, just kind of not being really difficult. Yeah, it's easy. I just wanted it's it to easy. be it's so. Easy. It's had a chance to be so fucking hard, but rewarding and great, and it just wasn't. But Coconada, like Columbus, is easy too. But it's just it's a different form of easy. So it doesn't feel easy. It is. It easy, doesn't. But, but yeah, like it, it, doesn't it, it is. It is easy. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about my number seven because we literally just talked about it like two weeks ago. It is. Um, I'm going to put all of November 10th from All Quiet on the Western Front on this. So that is. There's one scene specifically which we talked about um, where the Germans have taken the French trench after their um, initial um, assault there, like from trench to trench. They took the French trench, but then what comes is French tanks come, and uh, that scene of a tank rolling over the trench with that kid just, like, screaming his head off, like, is, um, like, seared into my brain. That day ends with, um, in a way, with... um, uh, Felix uh, Kammerer's character. Um, I don't know why I can't think of his name right now. But you, we, doesn't matter. People, um, yeah, yeah. Um, killing a French soldier and then, like, with his hands, ostensibly, and having to come to grips with that, like, in a hole. Because if he comes out of the hole, he's gonna get shot in the head. Um, and it's just really powerful, very visceral. Um, it runs the gamut of like quiet poeticism and this kind of like really ostentatious action movie, but like, like horror movie in like it's in the um, impact in the closeness of, of like the action. You know what I mean? Um, it's not just someone shooting a gun from like another side of a thing. It's like a tank tread, like, you know, with the loudness and like the force of that, like, literally rolling over the top of you after you just like watch some tanks like plummet into the earth. Are you going to get rolled over by a fucking tank? Um, it's horrifying. It's, I will say this really quickly. This is a movie that like missed a lot of my categories. Um, it's not in my top 10, but it missed a lot of like my technical categories for sure. Aren't, aren't you depressed that it wasn't just released theatrically overall? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a bigger theatrical release. Yeah, I, think, because- I think it could have made more of an impact if like, it works, I think, uh, on on my... Had given more, gotten a little more money, like maybe like 30 to 40 million more dollars. Is, or if Ed, Edward Berger, whoever he is, no offense, Edward Berger, but like had the, he's gonna had be, the he's clout, gonna, like Ryan... He will cry into his Oscar <laughs> nomination. 
had the clout like Ryan Johnson to be like, you're going to put this out in theaters for a week. Yeah. Or who or the people that made Matilda. You're going to release this in the theaters for a week. And in people and you know, both of those monies both those monies. Both those movies made money. Both those movies had an impact. Um All Quiet on the Western Front I think is going to be one of those movies if it does get nominated for Oscars is going to be like the 10th movie. It's going to be the European director who like Man, has no leading, shot of winning. It's leading the BAFTA nominations. So. But the BAFTAs are I know, but BAFTAs I think I think it's going to be a bigger deal than We'll see. We'll see. Um, my number six is, again, another moment that we talked about a lot um, on our best of the half year point, which is from Mad God. Um, Phil Tippett's Mad God, it is, uh, I'm, I, I won't go into it now because we're going to talk about it a little bit later when we talk about our movies, but uh, uh, some kind of, it's a stop motion animation film. A figure, an individual in a hazmat suit goes down on a rope into a fucking hellscape and descends from you know, cavity to corridor to like fucking submarine style, you know, turn the crank gate. And he just keeps going down and down and down until he finds something and is ripped apart and his guts are taken out. But in the midst of all of this, there's an individual, there's a, there's a signal on a loudspeaker. And all of a sudden, all these things, all these, all these people, let's say in quotes, made of, hair just start moving towards the central point to listen to the speaker talk. And uh, we'll talk about Dan Wool's score later for sure. Um, <laughs> but it, I is, don't know. It, uh, it's, it's haunting. It's like weirdly sad. It's like the moment where I knew that this, is just it, totally fucking weird thing was like affecting me emotionally. Is, is that the moment where Long Way Down plays, like where it starts with the heavy strings? The dum, 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 it might be. Dum. It might be. So I almost, so I didn't have time to do this, and I, but I wanted to, is to do, no, maybe spo- you spoiler, did too. Dan Wool is also nominated. Well, because you talked about it, like we talked about it in the thing, like the score kicks ass. We yeah. were both just like this thing. I have like a deeper appreciation after like listening to it and trying, like starting to watch it again. I just, I, there's so many movies I didn't have time. Um, I would have loved to have tracked the moments like when these things come in, like this is here, this is here, this is here, this is here, this is what's happening here. Um, but it's a movie that shouldn't really affect you emotionally because it's there's weird teeth monsters with breasts and penises eating other weird monsters and the hair people and all this other stuff. Um, but it does, and that's kind of why I love it so much. And like, I have such, such deep affection for it. Um, so yeah, Mad God is not a movie that's going to disappear like in, in our conversations. So no, I, I have it a couple times. Six and seven. Uh, my number six, um, a movie we won't talk about too much cause it's a movie you don't like. Uh, and we talked about it recently. Um, it is the musical sequence of quiet from Matilda and the musical. Um, I don't know. Just as somebody who like went through stuff as a kid, uh, not like abuse or anything, but like just some trauma. You were you in a chokey? No. But just some trauma stuff, uh, that musical number, and obviously it comes from the musical. Mm-hmm. That n- hits exactly like how you kind of face, like face yeah. uh, those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as most of Matilda the musical is, it's overproduced and overmade with her kind of like floating on the uh, hot air balloon, but watching it pretty high um yeah and i'm like, just like tearing up you know sure like it, it hit it's like this this it, it's obviously not one of the best sequences of the year 
But from a personal standpoint, like it just. Well, I'll say again, it's. I will say Alicia Weir was was a top ten. So the movie has. I know you don't like her in it. No, no. she was definitely my top ten like lead performances. This movie has no chance because I listened to my daughter sing "Quiet" in her bedroom for two weeks while she was preparing to audition for Matilda the Musical at her middle school. So it was just kind of like, or. Yeah, that makes sense. My daughter or, like, this random kid? No, that makes sense. Um, I think if I had that same experience with it, I would agree with you, but I have zero children and zero (laughs) other people in this ginormous tower, except for our audience of 10,000 people. That's too many people to be in a 1,000-person auditorium. Uh, My number five comes from a movie I don't particularly like at all even though it's going to win everything but i like one thing about it and oh. it nails it um that's wayman's moment mm-hmm. um from everything everywhere all once uh for some reason I, I talked to you about this like rewatching it um yeah. a few months ago and just like crying and rewatching it rewatching it huh. this is the moment where basically uh michelle yo um like everything's kind of falling apart and stephanie sal's trying to ruin the movie uh, go fuck yourself. She's not good. I'd rather have. Are you mad at? Not, no, I don't think. I don't. I think she. I think, or are you mad at like the fact that everyone's that, kind of like she's so? No, great. I don't. I, I thought when I watched it, I thought the Daniels ruined the movie first, and secondly, I thought she ruined it because she is doing what the Daniels want her to do. Whereas it feels like everyone else is like, no, this is a different kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Like even like Jamie Lee Curtis is, is like not doing the Daniels craziness. Whereas Stephanie's out, maybe because she's like a newer. I, I might be saying her last name wrong. I apologize. Um, she's a newer name is kind of just doing everything she's told to do. Mm-hmm. And like the bombasticness of the Daniels that never works for me. Cause they're like kids. Um, they're, I think they're two years younger than me, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking kids. Um, the entire part where he says like, I don't know. I just talked to her in her cut with like, the fight scene, him breaking up and going like, I don't know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And just like crying. Yeah, that works. Cause like in this like existential mess of a goddamn movie that tries to have big moments, it's the one moment that earns its emotional punch. It's of- the reason I'm rooting for him yeah, is yeah. because, and I, I and we'll talk about this. I'm going to, I'm not, I don't want to spoil my list. And we'll talk about this exact thing later, very much later in my list. This movie, I don't, I dislike this movie, but this movie does have, and this guy does not show up on my list because he's a part of this movie. And I think in context, I just, it doesn't work for me. Spoilers for me. He's, he's nominated. I get it. Yeah. And I, I totally get it because he is, Kiwi Kwan is the heart. Literal, I don't, that's not even enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? He is like the coherent, like, like, philosophical and like emotional center of this whole like project. And Michelle Yeoh's good in it, but like she's, 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 she's fine. fine. She's fine, but, but she's, she becomes like, she's not nominated for me, obviously, but she becomes great when she's playing off of him. Right. Because she's the, she's the lead character. So like what you were saying about the, like Stephanie Hsu and the Daniels, she has to carry all that, all that Daniels shit with her through yeah. the whole thing. Um, he doesn't, necessarily have to because he has to convey emotions or nothing else makes any sense so his first job is is an emotional one his second job is doing crazy stuff and what's great what i think's hilarious about this is i think everyone that re- like is in love with this movie will look um we'll kind of mention like like the, the 
bigness and the rock scene and all that, but they always come back to him. For sure. Like, it's him that makes this movie. Right. And you know what's, that's the nice thing, like, about the Oscars is I think there's, like, a one, two, three right now. For what? For, like, who could win. For sporting, sporting actor? actor? I don't think there is. I think there's a one. I think there's, there's a one. I think there's people. a one, but I think the two alternates, um, I'd be happy with any of those three. I'd be happy, absolutely, but, I mean, it is, it is not... It's not going to happen. It's not. I'm going to be. I'm. I, I will. I will not be upset because he's never. Get, I think the two other people who I'd be happy with have another chance. This is his one shot. So. I actually think this is going to be. In this. This is. We're getting bogged down now again. But this is going to be one of my saddest yeah. Oscars. I think because um, he's going to win first, and then it's going to set this tone of like, awesome. Oh, I think. I think. And then do, we're going to. I then, think they do supporting actress first, and I think Jamie Lee Curtis somehow wins. No, I think she beats Angela Angela Bassett. Has I think she locked it up. My gut feeling. They can't. We can talk about this like off air, yeah, yeah. in like less context. We'll talk about after. She we'll can, talk about the next episode where we talk about the Oscars. She yeah. cannot. Yeah. All right. Five. No five. Four. That was uh, my five. So it's your five. Is my five? You did six and five. Yep. And now it's mine. I'm going to do five and four. Yep. I'm going to talk about this movie one more time, Mario. And I was going to give a really big speech about this movie until I saw. Another movie, and then my speech will get less. This movie is called To Leslie. There's a moment where Leslie, played by Andrew Risborough, is, and I fucking hate when they do this in movies, Mario. Fucking hate it. She's an alcoholic. She's sitting at a bar. And guess what? There's a song playing, and that's going to be a really meaningful song. I hate when they do that stuff. Where, like, they, the, the, the on-the-nose soundtrack choice for like what's happening but that song's on the jukebox and she can hear that song and that song is willie nelson's are you sure question mark and that song is literally about the exact experience that leslie is having at that exact moment and this camera which has not done anything impressive through the whole movie starts at one end of the bar on leslie travels the whole length of the bar while the song is going well, Andrew Risborough just kind of like, like soaks in this song's lyrics. Look around you, look down the bar from you, at the faces you see, are you sure this is where you want to be? And it is totally devastating. Andrew Risborough is a magnificent performer in this movie that is otherwise Pretty good independent film. I like I like I like Mark Maron. He's okay. Quite a bit. I, I, I just like his accent. I don't know. He commits to that accent. He I does. Just, and he if he, there was a best accent award this year, he would have won it. He come he really commits to the role in him. Um as a as a Mark Maron guy, and I shouldn't feel this way because I'm not like alone in this, even though my relationship to Mark Maron is like my own and um you know what have you. I'm like proud of him that he that he did it and that he got that he got it. She's fantastic. Um, and I just think this moment is like heartbreaking. And this, this is a thing that never works in movies where like the, on the, like I said, the on the nose soundtrack choice, but this one feels very authentic. Mm -hmm. This definitely seems like a bar where that Willie Nelson song would be playing. And she's always at that bar. So it makes sense that she might hear it. Um, it really, really works. We're getting into like the nitty gritty here of these moments. This is the only place that this movie shows up on my list at all and it is uh alex garland's men and it is not the whole ending mario not the rory Kinnear's 
uh, giving birth to various iterations of himself. It is a moment that I've talked about um, multiple times on this podcast, both talking about men, but also talking about other movies that I've mentioned to you like a bajillion times. It is, I've mentioned to everybody as proof that Jesse Buckley is a fucking genius is she finally asks her boyfriend who has jumped off the roof at the beginning of the movie. That's kind of set this whole movie going who is birthed out of Rory Kinnear's ass or his vagina space, Vagis. whatever she's, he sits next to her on a couch and she's just like, what do you want from me? And he says, your love and her mouth crooks up and the, in the Jesse Buckley way, yeah. And, and in like a way that is like 40 years from now, we're all going to be like, holy, they're going to be doing like a montage reel of when she dies at the Oscars of just like her mouth just kicking up. No, no, but like oh when she God. dies and she's like 78 and she's like. We'll both be dead. Whatever. You, of course we'll be dead. Um, <laughs> but like there'll just be a whole uh, 10 minute reel of her mouth doing the Jesse Buckley thing. And she's just like. It's like the Ellen Burstyn thing, but not Ellen Burstyn. Ellen, uh. Barkley thing, but she's good at it. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's actually a good actress. And she's just, when she is, and this is proof that she's just like, yeah. Like, and it, that, yeah, is so loaded because it just means she understands and maybe she'll, maybe this is where she is and she just has to give it. Or like, I got it's just like not exhausted. Gonna, right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's all these things. It's Especially this, it's followed like right after her eye roll. It's uh, like the constant. Right. Thing. It's the other thing that Jesse Bucky does all the time. But like it's always perfect is that. And it's just so fucking loaded with all this meaning. And there's only one person I think that's currently acting that can deliver it um, and make it work. And it's her. And it was just like, ah, oh, it's just a fucking. Ah, oh, I just love it. I love it so much. I can, I can hear it and see the color of it and see like the way her, her, she was, her body was angled and like what she did and like what her shoulders are doing. It's just perfect. It's a great moment from like a deeply flawed yet like insanely interesting movie, uh, which I think is one of those movies that people will try to reclaim in like 15 years as like something that, that means something. And then yeah. like five years later, they'll be like, nah, we were all right about men the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's just an empty, an empty gesture towards Rory Kinnear winning an Oscar or something. So my number four um, is an entire sequence uh, that comes near the end of a film. Uh, this woman also made my long list. Um, I thought for sure she was going to get nominated from like most of the year, but eventually she kind of got pushed out uh, being Amber mid thunder. Me too. I felt um, sad. Yeah. I always felt sad about that too. I actually knocked out somebody <clears throat> before her. And felt less sad about it. Mm -hmm. um, this is just the entire final fight from yeah. Prey. Uh, that was also, right on the outside of my uh, like, moments list, yeah. Sarah Schachner um, also was like close to making my score. Mm -hmm. um, she did not. She's mm -hmm. also something that knocked out. Like, a lot of stuff surprised. from Prey got knocked out. Well, you were like um, adamant that that was in. Yeah, it just got, it just didn't. I know, I understand. Um, yeah, no, uh, everything kind of centers around this. Uh, you get some amazing editing in terms of that fight. You get that solid Dan Trachtenberg direction um, and Amber Mid-Thunder kind of carrying it by saying, like, this is where it ends, you know, no more. And then fucking die. Like, she shoots himself with the arrow. The predator shoots himself with the arrow. Mm. She does that yell. Um, and then it cuts right to, like, that great score of seeing, I think it's the song called, like, Seeing Through New Eyes, where she's carrying the head and kind of, like, throws it at the feet. Just fucking great 
action, perfect action, extremely well done from an action sequence, but also in terms of bringing all the emotion yeah. of, you know, following this very simple plot line of like, can she be a good warrior? It's like, yeah, well, of course she can. Number four, pretty easy. My number three, also cheating, an ending, um, <laughs> is uh, the basically the entire um, start of Under Pressure uh, through to the end mm. from After Sun, mm. um, <clears throat> where uh, you see throughout the entire film, you've, you've seen this kind of like dance scene. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's column kind of dancing. Uh, mm-hmm. It's kind of cutting throughout this entire experience during this um, French, right? It's, is it French holiday? Um, the, the, the holiday him and his daughter are going on. Uh, Sophie, um, and we come to learn that like this is Sophie as an adult now because this movie's told, you know, in the nineties and now it's present day. Um, she's kind of like seeing, imagining her dad dancing. We're to assume he's We're gonna he talk, committed. We can talk about this later. Yeah, we're gonna talk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can assume what happened to him, um, but that entire sequence just just filmed perfectly. Mm-hmm. Her her frustration, the adult Sophie's frustration leading through to the end where he kind of like guides her back to the plane to see her mom. The camera kind of floats from the footage that he shot because he's been shooting this on a camcorder, floats around to um, years later, the adult Sophie watching it, floating back to now Colm kind of watching Sophie leave. Just a masterful sequence. Don't have to talk too much about it. We're going to fucking talk a lot about After Sun. Oh, good. Um, (laughs) I assume from your... What you just said, we're probably going to talk about After Sun a bit tonight as well. Um, it will be, this is a... From me, we're going to talk about After Sun a lot. How this is that? a year where it will be fairly obvious by the middle of this podcast what, like, my list, my best of the year list looks same, like. Same, same. Um, my number three is from a movie that was number 11 on the best of my list, year list, and we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, it's from Tar. Um, it's a movie that I don't have like any affection for him, but like I, I, I find it like impossibly interesting and like weirdly perfect in a way, but like, I don't, I don't feel anything like emotionally for it. Spoilers. Not on my list. Yeah. On, not and on my like, top 10. Oh, not on my top. Okay. Good. Okay. Not good. I don't know why I'm saying good, but you know, it's, it's, <laughs> Got it, it yeah. was, on, it was, it was on my top 10 until I watched a movie and then it was the thing that pushed Tar off and it's yeah, the tar reason was, it, tar was on the edge. Well. The reason it didn't make it is because again, I don't feel feelings for it. I just, I just am impressed by it. And the, the moment that I became impressed by it, the the moment that I kind of solidified like my feelings about this movie, not like like emotional feelings, but just kind of like impression of this movie, is the second time I watched it when they got to the scene. So it's after she's, um, you know, after she's had the long conversation with Adam Gopnik, after she's talked to Mark Strong at the restaurant, after she's delivered, you know, the one at um, the new school, new school, Juilliard, Juilliard, um, where she goes back to Berlin um, to see her family and she's driving her daughter Petra to school and there's a girl that's bullying her and she walks up to that bully and she says, I'm Petra's father. And that whole conversation that happens is the moment that you realize that this is how, this is how Lydia Tarr talks to everybody. This is how she navigates her assistant conductor relationships. You know what I mean? This mm-hmm. is how she's navigating that relationship with um, Noemi Merlant's character and um, the character, I forget her name, that that um, ultimately kills herself, that she's kind of trying to avoid. Yeah, I, I forget her, yeah. yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> I'll get it in the break when we talk about like uh, there's Tar like shows up a couple of other places, and it was the second time through when I kind of realized that, and I was like, that is fucking awesome. But it functions on for me on a, as like a literary in a literary way more so than in a film way. This movie That's how that to movie, me is like a filmed works. novel. Yeah, it's how it works for me too. Or a, no, a, a film that works, that functions as a novel rather yeah. than a film, yeah. which is cool. It just leaves me a little cold. But that moment was like, I was like, that is awesome. That is great. These like three main scenes, three to four main scenes, like right in a row is like, um, and almost everything else that happens after that, like is directly relates to like one of those three scenes. It's just totally fascinating. My number two, um, you already talked, maybe you didn't. Um, so maybe this is, it is, we'll talk about this. I don't know. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about, like, we're going to talk about this movie 100%. Um, it's like the one that I'm confident of even before, it was the one I was confident of before you just said that we're going to talk about after Sunday Bunch, is um, the conversation in the bar between um, Padraig and Colm about niceness versus music yeah. and what lasts and I don't need to see too much about it because, like, we talked about it a lot when we did our, our Banshees of Inishirin episode. Um, if Colin Farrell ends up winning the Oscar, it'll be because of the scene. I've never seen him do this before. Um, and he's right, but Brendan Gleeson's also right. They're both right, and it's not until the end of the movie that they kind of, like, figure that out. Uh, and Brendan Gleeson has to lose a hand in a house, not his dog, uh, for him to kind of like figure that out, um, yeah, it's a per- it's like a perfect scene in a pretty much perfect movie. Yeah, I don't have it anywhere else on my list. <clears throat> no, no, yeah, Banshees is surprise. Banshees is nowhere on my list. Yeah. Mario, I'm a little, uh, yeah, nowhere, nowhere. Hmm. Um, so my number two is pretty much a perfect scene. For Mario. <laughs> and for the longest time... like Is this it the trailer number... of Mario Brothers? You know, I wish. Uh, for the longest time, this was like my number one, but I'm done my number one, and eventually just ended up taking it. Uh, this is, for me, when it happened, when I saw this in theaters, was the perfect moment in a thing, and this sounds terrible to say, um, the thing I'd always wanted to see in a film of this genre. Mm. And that is RJ's death in X. Mm. And I talked about this during the X conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, he RJ, he's, he's just watched um Lorianne. He's just watched Jenna Ortega have sex with Kid Cuddy. Um, and it's kind of like leaving. He sees he sees Pearl. Mm-hmm. He goes to talk to her. Um, and I was like, oh man. <laughs> Shit's coming down. You get you get blue oyster cults, don't fear the Reaper in the background. And he you know, denies her advances, and then she stabs him in the throat, and then she just fucking keeps stabbing him. And for some reason, throat stabs have always been, like, my biggest thing in horror, but I've always been like, oh, they don't go far enough. Mm-hmm. Um, scream, 2022, you don't go far enough with that. But, like, this does go far enough. Uh, and then it can weirdly becomes, like, from a slasher perspective, beautiful, where his blood kind of splashes against the headlights, and then you get Tyler Bates' headlights playing mm. with that, um, I forgot who's singing in that, but like you get that song where she yeah. just starts dancing. You later see that like she's stabbed. You could see it then that she stabbed RJ enough in the throat numerous times to decapitate him. This is definitively throughout the history of slasher films. And I'm a sl- 
because you know I'm a slasher, slasher guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. The best kill in a slasher movie of all what? time. Um, just every everywhere it flows, big time goes throughout. Uh, yeah, I it's just super solid for me. Ty West was my seven for director. It's interesting for, for X for X. You can see because Pearls the kills in Pearl are not as interesting as the kills. No, in but X. Pearl's not a horror movie. I know it's a drama. But I don't. Do you get the impression that like I so when I watch I Pearl, like Pearl a lot less I like it, than I like. But it's a different kind of movie, and I, it's one of those things where I got the impression that like he didn't know it was a different movie until he was making it, and he's like, "Oh, this is different." I mean, Pearl just feels like Mia Goth's movie, to be honest. It kind of feels like I hope Mia she Goth wins the like, I hope she wins the Independent Spirit Award. I don't think she's gonna, uh, but it would be cool yeah. if she did. I'd uh, be happy for her. But the one that had to win um, is the final confrontation uh, between uh, that's my number one, obviously between Val and Kevin. Following the kill, the, the following Val shooting uh, Dr. Brenner, Henry Winkler, um, and on the count of three, mm. uh, where Kevin says, you know, this is it. It's been a good day. Let's do this. And Val's like, no, I'm not doing this. And you get, you know, I'll talk about him pretty soon uh, in terms of the nominations. Um, maybe wins. Who knows? Uh, Christopher Abbott's kind of like, what? What? Face. And then kind of like come around to it goes like, hey, just tell Dr. Brenner you know, or just tell the police that, you know, pin the doctor on me. Um, and then you just get that good back and forth. And it's been a building this entire time because like the as dark as the subject matter is of two people wanting to commit suicide at the end of the day. It does work as a buddy comedy in a lot of ways. And this is where everything kind of rips apart with that. So you have built up this charisma and character development between the two. But that's when you realize that's when you realize like the person who's like down in the dumps who which Val is versus the person who legitimately and I, I said this when when we talked about um, our half of the year versus a person who legitimately is in a position where they want to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not some people says like it's justifying suicide. It's not. It's just telling you like where that person would be after a lifetime of abuse. It's a beautiful scene. It's a horrific scene, but easily for me. Um, Best scene in the movie. Uh, and this kind of like, we're going to talk about on the count of three, so multiple times, most of it revolves around this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that is probably the most unsurprising number. Well, not the most unsurprising, but I just assume every it. year, it's not surprising that... I was I, the only reason I actually I was, don't know your number one. I'm surprised J.B. Smoove is not... Uh, the scene where he beats up J.B. Smoove is, is not number one. Oh. Kicking J.B. Smoove's ass has to be everybody's dream. <laughs> no, I love J.B. Smoove. Uh, no, my number one, I think, should be... Um, is was obvious. It's like super obvious to me. It is uh, the scene in Bones and All when Marin meets her mother. I mean, oh, there's no yeah, other scenes like that in film this year, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it is disgusting, and Chloe Sevigny just got pushed out like over the last couple of days um, of my best supporting actress list um, for reading a letter in voiceover and for trying to eat her kid. Um, it is. Uh, just, it is a realized horror that you were kind of waiting for the whole, like, you want to see Marin get, the whole movie is about Marin kind of, up to that point is Marin getting to her mother to get some explanations, to get some, maybe some closure, to get maybe even like a new beginning. Um, and then when she gets there, she realizes that her mother is um, like a worst case scenario. Until a little bit later when Lee, real, played by Timothy Chalamet, admits that he ate his dad. Um, 
you know, which I'm assuming is a kind of a bones and all thing. And I, I don't want to go there more there than there I, the book. No? I did. Okay. So we'll talk about that a little bit later too. Uh, um, yeah, I, I realized something with, with Luca films is, is I like, like I'll mention bones and all several times later. Um, but I've realized his movies, I need to like watch once, go away from for like a year, then come back to, and then I kind of like get it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think bones and all follows that trend where like, I really appreciate it. But especially with my like aversion to cannibalism. Yeah. Um, and this movie is unrelenting with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think it's an excellent film, but it is a hard fucking film well, for me to like watch. And it's funny because I'm, because I don't have that, like that same aversion and I was actually just talking about this with someone at work the other day who was like, oh, what's your, you know, what movies would you recommend? And I was like, I don't recommend Bones and All unless you have no problems with cannibalism. If you have no problems with cannibalism. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, I have absolutely <laughs> no problems with cannibalism. As they're like picking their teeth. Um, this movie like just ran the fuck all over me. Yeah. Um, and it's, does, and I will talk about this in various spots throughout the, the evening. Um, Everything. All of his Luca Guadagnino's choices, from uh, color saturation to how he framed characters in the beginning of the movie versus how he framed them at the end of the movie, um, editing music, all this other stuff, leads to a purely visceral like film experience Definitely, that is yeah. that is that is underlined with the fact that like the other characters are literally eating the other characters. You know what I mean? Um, and it's I just I think it's breathtaking and I love it. And I kind of can't wait to, to dig it. I mean, we dug into it before. We talked about it. I can't wait to kind of like dig into it more and like its nuances and it's like the things that are working yeah. um, and how they work and, and stuff like that. So, um, you know what? I, I, I'm feeling good. I think we can keep this train. You want to keep uh, this one episode podcast? Yeah, I, I, let's keep the train rolling for now. We'll take a, we'll take breaks. We're usually take a break after the top ten, but I think we did that pretty quickly. We're gonna we're but, um, four to fifty. Three minutes. Yeah, let's let's keep this train a rolling because I think shoot, in the shoot, past Mario. in the past we we've stopped a lot and it makes us tired and you know let's keep it rolling. What are we doing first? Best supporting actress. Whoop, 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 whoop. Uh, I have them mm-hmm. locked up, so right now I could look at them and I can just give you my nominees. Uh, Hong Chow has Liz in the Whale. Mm. Uh, Carrie Condon has I can never say that name. Siobhan. 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 I always want to say Siobhan. Uh, Siobhan. Um, Suleiman. In, in Banshees of Innersher. Uh Margot Robbie has Valerie Vaz in Amsterdam. <laughs> did you like Amsterdam? I did. We talked about this. Yeah, but did you have you have you like has it grown in your esteem? No, this is the only place it's okay. awesome. uh Zoe Kravitz has Selena Kyle and Catwoman in the Batman, and then Samantha Morton as Zelda Perkins in She Said. Oh, interesting. It's a fucking really is good that your, is that ranked? No, no, that's no, no, unranked. No, 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 it's unranked. We're gonna do this. Me guessing what's your number one again? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> did, I don't. I didn't rank them. I just I picked nominees. Then did you want me to guess where. first? Uh, before well, I let's read see, one? Let's see, let's, Oh, you you rank. I them, always right? rank them. Yeah. Okay. Because why do this if you're not yeah. gonna rank? <laughs> I just don't like. I don't like ranking. Um, because it makes. I, it too I'm, gonna so, so, I'm gonna assume Carrie Condon. Carrie Condon absolutely wins. My number five is Carrie Mulligan. Playing Megan Toohey from She Said. Um, She's, she was on my long list. I just fucking loved that Samantha Morton scene. Yeah, Samantha Morton had a really interesting year this year. Oh. What was her other thing? The whale. Oh, right. She oh. dips into the whale to say a bunch of really stupid things from the worst script of the year. 
That's not on your script list, is it? No. Okay, good. We'll talk about that later. It has one hour spot, and it almost missed that spot. My, um, <laughs> I've got it on one other spot, two spots? Two other spots. Oh, spoilers. Yeah, Brendan Fraser is in my best actor. He doesn't <laughs> win it? Yeah, he's in one hour spot, but he doesn't. He doesn't win he mine either. Did, he almost didn't make it. Oh. Is, is my thing. So yeah, it's just it's her and Brenda Fraser. She's great. She's I thought she's really she's good. Better than him. I'm gonna talk. I want to talk about this when we get to. Rudy let's Man. talk about the whale another another time. Well, well, I, I, let's talk about the whale when we get to. I want to talk about the whale twice, okay. if you'll permit me. Uh, absolutely. And one of them it, it, we could talk about. Um, Hong so Chow. Sadie Sink isn't in your nominee. Okay, good. Mario, what the fuck, man? What the yeah. fuck was that? <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. Wait, let, let's hear the rankings. Carrie Mulligan, Megan Toohey. We talked about why I like that so much. We we did it. Uh, we can go back to it because it's related to stuff. Carrie Condon from the bench is interesting. She's my number four. She's four. Wow. She's my four. Uh, the only reason is because I'm not. I think I think her performance is really good. I, I really I really want these actresses. I, not just actresses. I want these actors to be rooted. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Zoe Kravitz, my number three in the Batman. I thought you I thought you would hate my pick as that pure. It is. Did it, you expect me to nominate? Yes. Her? Okay. Because yeah. anyone who uh, the fact that she's not nominated for an Oscar makes me want to fucking throw she's up. She's so good. She's amazing. Yeah. But people are dumb, so who gives a shit? Um, it's a superhero movie. They can't. They can only give it an award once every fifteen years. It just makes me sad. We could be. We could have Zoe Kravitz at the Oscars, but the Batman's not going to get nominated for anything. I would like to look at Zoe Kravitz more. I just want Leave it in. her to do anything. It. Um, I even I watched, wasn't a huge on Kimmy though. No, but she was in it and she was good. Yeah, Steven good. Soderbergh stinks, but that's you know. Every so often he's good. Sure, but like yeah. when he's not good, it's just like it's, you yeah. are you are just masturbating on screen, whatever. Not to women, but just like to himself. Oh no! Like absolutely. I'm Steven Soderbergh. I can't believe it. Um, I'm going to ruin this middle this this name. Um, Guslaji Melange from Saint Omer. Um, oh yeah, no, did not like it. So so the Saint Omer. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Because it's gonna be on a bunch of my. Parts. I, I think it's good. It's just not not a me movie. It's we'll talk about it. I have I have I have thoughts. My number one is Rooney Mara in Women Talking. Um, yeah, she she was she she just was fine. I think that she kind of defined something. I think that was helpful for me, not just in my list, but like in how I'm in like as I'm moving through film now, which is all the women in Women Talking deliver outstanding performances. I could have cheated here like I'm going to cheat in my my supporting actor category and nominated like everybody. Everybody wins an award. Um but she's the only performer in that movie who seems to be well no, she's one of two performers in that movie that seems to be totally invested not just in the immediate problem at hand. So Jesse Buckley's character uh, I'll talk about Jesse Buckley and Claire Foy's characters specifically. Jesse Buckley's character is knows she's going to get beat when she gets home. And we'll talk a little bit about that later too. Claire Foy's character's four-year-old daughter. I think Claire Foy is my seven. Just almost yeah. got raped. They're excellent in these roles. Um, every, actually, all of these women are excellent. In Francis McDormand included. In, but she couldn't stop from throwing that that crayon down like a fucking Francis McDormand. But she. For the most part, prevented herself. She did. When she was talking, she was not Frances McDormanding in McDormanding, but she threw that pen down like Frances McDormand, and I fucking hated it. Um, Rudy Mara has invested this character, Ona, with hundreds of years 
of repression and anger, but also a divinely wrought intelligence, um, like a desire for knowledge. And when I say later in the podcast about how the script for women talking like borders on Spoilers. like Shakespearean, I won't tell you where it is. She is the one who delivers her lines in that manner. Yeah. Every word that comes out of her mouth has the weight of um, not just the immediate problem, but like the whole Mennonite, you know, experiment. You know what I mean? From like... You had read this novel long before you... Yeah. Miriam right? uh, uh, Taves is one of my... Is like one of my favorite writers. Um it's one of the reasons I think it's not, doesn't show up like in a lot of places on my list is that I'm it's, and we'll talk about this when we talk about the whale. I just don't think the movie's right. Like as a, as a, as a, as a film, like it just seems like Sarah Polly just took too many, just it was doing too much. And yeah. that, that too muchness just really got in the way of, of like what should have been like a really powerful, like a really powerful film, except when Rooney Mara is talking. Um, and it's just, it's just like, she lands every single line and it's just really heavy. So congratulations, Rudy, Rudy Mara. I think she thinks she's getting like better as the more movies that she's in. Um, I think she's becoming like a really exceptional actress. Yeah. She's, she's really fun. Yeah. Do you want Carrie Condon to win that Oscar? She's not going to though. Um, <laughs> no, she's not. Well, that feels sad for her, but she is not going to win no. that Oscar. Uh, best Supporting Actor. I'll, I'll just go again. Uh, my nominees are Barry Keown as Dominic Kearney in The Banshees of Inisherin. Brendan Gleeson as Colm Doherty in The Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, Christopher Abbott as Kevin on the count of three. Mark Rylance as Soli in Bones and All. Kihu Kwan as Waymond Wang in Everything Everywhere All at Once. This is a tough one for me because my, I'm assuming you're going to go Christopher Abbott here. I knew you were going to, I actually, I should have wrote down this list. I would have been right on four out of five. Because the Mark Rylance thing came out of nowhere, but I had he's the other, so good. I had the other. Who do you think was my fifth? I don't know. Okay. I had. I was like, I'm. I'm fairly just the way that you were talking. About I will say everything this. This is one time. of those categories where I had two winners. So that's and I had thing. to break it to one. My gut says you're going to go Brendan Gleeson here. My winner, Kyu Kwan, is <gasps> Wayman Wang. What? See, he yeah. just got up and he's <laughs> practicing. He's surprised. <laughs> it's like yeah. the one no, surprise. I. Like I get I said, it. I it's get a movie it. that doesn't work, but he work, he's the one. He's he's the reason everyone loves that movie. It's a fucking great, earnest, honest performance. Also, I looked at Christopher Abbott and I was like, this guy's gonna fucking like win my awards later. I'm never gonna see Kiu Kwan again. He didn't give win, it to him. Did he win awards for us at any point? No, he's been nominated for me. Was he nominated for me? He's definitely. For pos- he was I nominated for me. Possessor. He's nominated. Yeah, I couldn't remember if I nominated him, but he was on my I think we both long list. Yeah, love Possessor. I cannot wait for Infinity. Cannot fucking wait, Mario. Oh, no. It's like, the, it's like the one movie that I'm, like, very excited for. Um, number five is Albrecht Shush for, um, as Cat in All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, my number four is Justin Min for After Yang. Number five, number three. As Yang. As Yang. Um, my number three is my cheat. It's Mark Rylance, Michael Stuhlbarg, David Gordon Green, and Andre Holland for Bones and All. Fucking ensemble. We'll just, Can't do it. It's one of those things where it's they're all so good, and they all add. They're an, I agree. They're all I, an I, additive I picked, to the thing. I just Mark Rylance was just so 
demure. So for me, like, I think I my, loved it. my problem, Mario, I think is that it I made my skin crawl. That's why I like it. Worked. So that for me, that was David Gordon Green. And he says, I think like four things, like four words. No. Um, and then it's kind of seen in this, in, in these kind of like montages that have like, are like rootless, except for the fact that like, they know a guy like that is out there. Um, he was fucking terrifying. That was more terrifying than anything he did like in any of the Halloween movies. Just sitting by a fire next to Michael well, Stuhlbarg. Literally the best thing from the Halloween movie, like I just said, was a guy saying, I'll like the match and then hanging out on his bike with a hot chick. But that's what I'm saying is that like, I think we talked about this when we did the, when we reviewed Bones and All. It's like, I wouldn't be surprised if Michael, uh, if David Gore Green like made those movies were like just really quickly because he just was preparing for like the Bones and All thing. He was like eating people somewhere. Um, My number two is my other women talking, uh, acting. It's Ben Wishaw, who I, I think is, I think is great in this for kind of the same reason that Rudy Mara is in the sense that I think he becomes, as the movie goes on, he becomes slightly unhinged. And the emotions that he's projecting are seem very, very, very real. There's a real vulnerability to like the fact that he's on their side and he's gonna be left behind. Yeah. And he seems like legitimately crushed by that. My number one is Brendan Gleason in Branches of Inishirin, who um I actually think this is like the bummer of the Oscar season. Is that like Kiwi Kwan is winning everything, and this man that's right here is not going to win. Where's Bear Kiwi? Because I know you're not big on him. Where is he? Like, is he I, like he, I honestly, he didn't factor because uh, he's too ticky. And I think Martin McDonough, as we talked about, I think Martin McDonough's script is too perfect that he didn't have to. So this is kind of what I was saying with Rooney Mara, and this is kind of what I was saying with all these other actors is that they've invested them with something deeper than just the situation. We'll talk, we'll talk about like why we'll talk about it later about, about that. Barry Keoghan. Uh, no, no about like that. The, the characterization. Yeah. yeah okay. Scripts. Um, but I'm sad for Benny Gleason. Sad. Yeah. No, I think he'll get it though. Eventually. Hopefully. I mean, I don't think he needs it. I just think he's so good in this. Yeah. I think he's, this is, I can't even say they this both is the best get nominated. For sure, 100%. He's just not going to win. But maybe he does. Maybe he's like, I'll cut my hand off if you don't don't let me win. And they're just like, shit, okay. God. I saw that movie. We should let him win. Who won Best Supporting Actress last year? Can't remember. Um, It wasn't uh, Jessica Chastain. That was Best Actress. Doesn't matter. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Best Makeup. We did three, right? Three. You, you, you do your three. My three are in order. Um, Women Talking, number three. All Quiet on the Western Front, number two. And Bones and All, very obviously, number one. The Women Talking one is because there's a moment at the end of the movie where Jesse Buckley's character has been um, hit by her husband. And she comes back to the group and she's her arm is in a sling and her face is all swollen. But she's got one eye open and she's got one eye closed. Yeah. And it's this... I, I loved the idea that they used this make up this opportunity to kind of show again, like what's at stake here. Like her husband is directly responsible for trying to close this eye where like another eye, but it's like, it's open like a slit. Like she's forcing it open where another eye is like totally open. You know what I mean? It's that, that beautiful dichotomy in, in situation there that I thought was, so it's maybe not like, you know, the makeup in it isn't like spectacularly well done per se, but it's like how they use it. And that's, I think really, that was really interesting to me. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm listing it here. 
I've stopped pretending that best makeup is anything else besides me going like gore effects. Just, sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, what else? So my three nominees are X, Terrifier Two, and Barbarian. There you go. Why not? Uh, my winner is is X. Cool. Because you get a mixture of like decent gore effects throughout, but that I didn't know Pearl was played by Mia Goth until I got home. Uh-huh. That's a solid old person it was good. makeup job. But also just the the throat effects on um and good you know. Good job, Damien Lino. You got a Terrifier 2 nominee. You got your makeup nomination. You got nomination. on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good work. Yeah, the, the kill of Allie. Wow, stupid. It looks good. Mm-hmm. Good job. Make a, not make a movie that's not misanthropic, please. I don't think you can. Hopefully. I think you'll really struggle with whatever is not, <laughs> unless it's Terrifier 3. Uh, best costume design. Mm-hmm. Want to do it? Uh, so my three nominees are Matilda the Musical, The Banshees of Inventure, and everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, my number. Oh, do you want to? Do you want to know what one? Oh yeah, I forgot you don't rank them. Yeah. Uh, Banshees. So my, my winner is the Banshees and Inisherin. Go into. Give me some detail there because you had texted me about this when we saw it, but you didn't talk about it when we did the episode. Well, go into some detail and some text. I know there's there's a real textile feel uh-huh. to the clothing. Okay. Like I don't know. Usually with these movies that are set. Um, it, like this is set in the 19 teens, I believe is when the Irish Civil War happens. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or movies that are set like kind of in this period pieces, the clothing still feels modern. Yeah, this feels itchy. This feels heavy. It feels constructed by regular people on this island. Yeah, it feels bulky. It doesn't feel comfortable. The necks don't look right. The necks don't look. Everything feels like it was homemade. Spoil. You can see where this my list is going. Yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> that that's why I love. Sure. It. it just is. It feels so, and it works. Like the cost. Like when it comes to everything. Like I always focus. I don't look like what's the prettiest costume. I go like what? Why does this work? Mm-hmm. And it works for Banshee's Inisherin because it is so separated. Yeah. And thematically, the, the the idea of separation from the mainland is a big part of it. All of the clothing being so heavy, so homemade. Adds to that separation. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with you. Um, that was that was. I was. I remember like looking forward to hearing about that when we did the episode, and then like we just talked about other stuff for a while, yeah. so we didn't get to it. My number three is Black Panther, um, Wakanda Forever. I think it's pretty obvious. I don't feel like great about it, but they are really nice, and they win, seem. Probably. I think so. Yeah. They seem pretty well, um, reflective Black Panther, of the, the original one. That one right. too. Yeah, yeah. they, they do a good job. I think the production design is. I think um, my. I think it's leading in gold derby right now because I think it won it the last time too. That doesn't feel very lived in. That seems very steady and I kind of yeah. hate it, but the costumes seem good. The they seem very are, representative of, of a culture. They just don't do anything for them. They don't, yeah, they, they don't, but they're, they're, um, I, I, we'll talk about this again in a little bit. Um, so black Panther one more time and I'll kind of go into some detail about it. Um, my number zero th- times for me. What? Black Panther. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> My number two is um, 3,000 Years on Earth. George Miller's 3,000 Years on Earth. We'll talk about this. 3,000 Years of Longing. 3,000 Years of Longing. Why do you say on Earth? Because you're thinking of 20,000 Days on Earth. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> which is also a movie that I love. Um, 3,000 Years of Longing was a movie that I did not expect to love, and I, um, I do love it, and we'll talk about it more. Um, I think one of the interesting things about this movie is that it uses a lot of nudity, um, and it uses it really interestingly um, as a costume, as representative of a kind of decadence. Um, that um, this gin is um, 
kind of inspiring or, or, or party to. Um, but it's a really fascinating film. Um, my number one is kind of in the same way that your number one is like indicative of like how this is going to go for the rest of the night. No, my number one is oh. After Sun. Oh, okay. Um, Ooh, because interesting. the ending of that movie is telegraphed in the costumes. Um, like, so the dance that you're talking about, like the under pressure dancing, you can kind of get the impression of what he's wearing. And then in Sophie's footage of that, uh, of the airport, when she says goodbye to her father, um, you, you see that costume. And then when that camera pivots around, like you described really nicely before, he's wearing that costume. And he goes right into a dark club, seemingly from the airport. Um, and that means something. And we'll talk about that later. But like, that's what costumes are supposed to do in movies. You know what I mean? They're supposed to kind of set up, for me anyway, they're supposed to set up like who this, what this, they're, they're supposed to be part of the story. Well, it's, they're it's, not supposed it's, to be what people saying are saying wearing. We're yeah. saying the same thing. Absolutely. From different um, no, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm no, just no, saying no. that. Like, yeah, no, no, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. But we're just, yeah. Um, okay. Unlike the Oscars, we break our uh, sound categories up still because they're fucking different. I think it makes sense. It does because yeah. they're two different things. Sound editing. That's sound editing. My three nominees are Avatar The Way of Water, Top Gun Maverick, that piece of shit movie, and it's, it's fine, and Tar. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm interested to hear, is it, who, is it? My winner's Top Gun? It's Avatar The Way of Water. It's Avatar won an award. How do you feel about that? It wins. It was on your it, worst of the year list. It wins two. Two awards? You know it's going to win. Yeah, it's going to have to, it wins. Spoilers, it wins visual effects. What? <laughs> it has to. Like, it's it's a sound editing. It's really solid. Technically, I said it's a spectacular film um, from like a computer standpoint. Yeah. But from a movie standpoint, it's a fucking disaster. <laughs> People I've talked to have been like, oh, yeah, it's a great. It's like T2. So when T2, and I'll go on quickly. With no, this. no, go ahead. When T2 came out, like the ride, not T2, the movie, <clears throat> T2 to ride at Universal Studios. Uh-huh. It's a really great, fun experience. And Avatar is that way. Avatar actually almost made my top moments. Hmm. The the plane, the um, ship landing sequence, okay. the one really great sequence, and this is why it wins sound editing, is from the sound design of that fire spreading as the ship lands and destroys and clears out that yeah. land. Um, there's really great moments in it. Uh, unfortunately, there's a story to it, bro. <laughs> Bro, there's a story. Yeah, bro. I feel weird about Bro, there's a story, bro. Is that a thing you that happens in Avatar? They say, they say bro. Quite a uh, but I'm happy it's 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 done, I think. Well, so I feel weird about the Avatar thing, I think, is the Avatar phenomenon, Avatar phenomenon, I think, is really weird because remember when like Avatar 2 was <gasps> coming out? Everyone was like, Avatar 1 has no cultural footprint. How much is this mo- how much money is this gonna make? And it made like a shit ton of money. But I still think it has no cultural footprint. It no, doesn't think, mean anything. I, it just I made think, a lot of money. I think people in it's an enjoyable mm. watch in some ways when you're watching it. Like the the underwater stuff looks cool, but it just is three hours and it exits your brain as quickly as it did. So I do think some people might just enjoy it enough because the the three yeah. effects are great, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but yeah, it's just yeah, uh, it's weird. I think it's a movie that people do watch and then they forget about. And they have to watch it again because they're like, they can't remember that they saw it before. No, they just rewatch it because they enjoyed the experience of watching it. But it's not a thing that, like, if they never made any more avatars, people are going to be like, ah, oh, I wish there was more avatars. No, absolutely not. Um, there's like a thing, I don't know, you probably 
don't know about this. You ever heard of Pitch Meeting? It's like an online mm-hmm. show. So it's basically a guy, comedian named Ryan George, who kind of does things where he pitches movies as they come out. Mm-hmm. And he did the Avatar Way of Water thing. He's like, oh, we're making a sequel to Avatar The Way of Water. You know, starring that character. He's like, oh, right, that. And they, like the entire joke is like they forgot everything from the first Avatar. Right. Which is what everyone has done. Well, I just love that they're like James Cameron's yeah, already James coming Cameron. out and he's like, they're going to be fire whatever's in the next one. It's like, oh, I didn't you know what? this is a Zelda video game. You know what I cool. respect about James Cameron? He's a fucking carny. He is a Vince McMahon. He That's is right. a porn director. He's everything. He knows what he does. Good one. I have nothing but respect except for the fact that he's kind of like a piece of shit and other stuff. But I respect carnies mm-hmm. who like are kind of on the up and up. And for the most part, James Cameron is. So that's why I'm not bitching about Avatar. I just wish he Burn was... that fucking bag. Yeah, dad. I just wish he was like more like sincere about it and like honest about it. You know what I mean? Because I think he's still trying to he say that like these was, are good if movies. If he was, people would, wouldn't go see his movies anymore. Right, I guess that's true. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of director yeah. bullshit with him. My number... So I, I framed these, and I think we talk about this like every year. I like have... I like to frame things for myself and like how I'm going to think about them. So for sound editing, I thought of it as like the sound that gets used as like a narrative tool. You know what I mean? Because it inherently has to kind of like be interspersed and like used and played with. Like sound is manipulated. So my number one is resurrect. My number three is resurrection. Um, where because there's these moments in this, uh, there's moments where Rebecca Hall is freaking out, and the sound goes from. Um, normal to she's all of a sudden like in Bruce Almighty and she can like hear all the sounds and it's like this really good oral representation of like panic. My number two is nope. And you kind of already talked about that with like the sound in the in like the sky and stuff like that and how that like works and all this other stuff. My number one is a movie I'm really curious. Don't say anything. Don't say unless it's like Unless it's like you're totally out on it. I'm just so curious because we haven't talked about it at all. My number one is decision to leave because there's all these sound is such a key thing in that movie with like phones and messages and like listening to what people say and how they say it and like the environment that like people are in. Um, I think it just, it's like a really good sneaky representation of like how sound can like be put to use in movies because you don't really realize that it's happening until you like rewatch it and you're just like, oh, there's that. Oh, they're doing that now. And this this is kind of this voicemail message sounds like dialogue, but is like cutting over like four scenes and all those four scenes matter, but like this matters too. And it almost has nothing to do with like the visuals. It's really interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. So that's my number one. Uh, so my sound mixing nominees, best sound mixing are Matilda the Musical, mm-hmm. Avatar the Way of Water, and After Sun. Put it up. I'm gonna. Is it After Sun? Oh no, you my, said Avatar One, right? Uh, no, Avatar One visual effects. Is it After Sun? After Sun's my winner for yes! best sound mixing. Me too. Oh, nice. How come? So, so dear. Okay, so my number three is um, Three Thousand Years on Earth. My uh, it's three thousand years of longing. longing. Ah, <laughs> three thousand years of longing. It was just, it's gonna be embarrassing because I've watched that movie twice and like I really like it you, a lot. But you like two th- twenty thousand days years on Earth on more. Earth more. Um, <laughs> 3,000, look it, I even wrote it. 3,000 years on Earth. It's just a habit. Give me number to look at that. Because one of those, 20,000 years on Earth is one of those movies I've like recommended to people like a lot. Um, 2,000 years of longing, all quiet on the Western front. Like it's just, it's just, these are both kind of like big movies that do big movie 
sound things and they do it well and it's like really important to the, like the way the movie works. That's how I have to hear the sound that functions in the context of the movie. My number one is After Sun for the specific reason that so it's, the After Sun score is not featured on my list of scores. Yeah, and the reason that it's not featured on my list of scores, even though it was intention originally intended to be, is because the After Sun score functions like white noise that's happening in the movie. It almost functions as like this kind of underlying like psychic chaos that Colum is kind of experiencing all the time. It's almost toneless. Like if you boot up this after sun score on Spotify and listen to it in your fucking car, there's no, there's very little melodies there. There are a few that are underneath just a bunch of grinding stuff. Um, I didn't know that when I was watching it like a hundred times, but it's, when you kind of isolate it, you're like, oh, that's what it's doing. So that, like, the way that it, it's just another layer. That's yeah. that's mixing to me. It's like that, that added Absolutely. layer of depth. And I agree. Uh, a friend of the podcast, Andy, and I watched this on Saturday. Um, and, the, and the moment that stuck out to me is the moment where Colin's out smoking the cigarette on the balcony. Yep. But you hear the breathing of Sophie yep. in rhythm, you know, like... And that kind of like sets like this tone to it, and then like the overall, there's like this like throughout it, like the sense of melancholy, uh, but like the way the sound works, like the bass during those moments where you see the dancing that intersperses it, like everything is there to either mm. kind of like jolt you or there to kind of like create these moments of calm, like Sophie's breathing, yeah, and like oh, the sound, it's just it's always in perfect melody. With it, it blows my mind, like that Charlotte Wells is is like a first time filmmaker mm-hmm. here. Me too. Spoilers. What's gonna happen later? Yeah, ditto. Um, <laughs> We're doing a bad job. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess people would people would know the nominees before getting to the awards. People are people award are literally shows. if there's there's got to be one person that's got like a sheet that's just like and this like Cluedo like Cluedo this, style. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Charlotte Wells and director got it. <laughs> but yeah, no, everything about this is and she. I mean, she falls to some like first director trappings, which we'll get to when we talk about director. Um, but. Uh, no, yeah, it just it, it it is the totality of that sound works for the purpose of the film and yeah. setting that tone, the emotional tone of that movie. It's interesting, really interesting. All right, what's next? Visual effects. Uh, so my three nominees are Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Top Gun, Maverick, and Avatar: The Way of Water. Where is Avatar: The Way of Water? Because it's fucking <laughs> of course it is. Uh, my number three is Top Gun: Maverick. Um, you know, the planes. Yeah, Top Gun: Maverick's my two. When they're in the planes, it's good. When they're not on the planes, it sucks. Uh, or the special effects on Tom Cruise's face. Could you imagine if he gets nominated for director? Ooh, he's, he might be. I, I I hope that that won't happen. I, they're not going to nominate any women, but they're going to na- nominate Joseph Kaczynski. Gary Kaczynski? <laughs> Joseph, Joseph. Jay Kaczynski? Joseph Kaczynski, yeah. My number two, I don't know how you feel about this one. My number two is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. I'm fine with it. Uh, I, think it I put... That in a different category. Okay, interesting. So I just think it's really, when I saw it, I was like, I'm really impressed with this. This really works like on a lot of levels. Um, The stop motion stuff mixed with the live action stuff, I think was, was great. And because it mixed, I I thought it worked. You kind of guess what category it could be in for me. I don't know. I'm interested. I love that you love it. I, that makes me very happy because I also like, we have. Disaster Beast does not get nominated. Me neither. It got pushed out a lot, but it, it is a good score. Yeah. He was um, twice. He shows up twice in my top ten. Mm. Um, my number one is Three Thousand Years of Longing. I you mean, did it. Yeah, that's the name of the movie. I didn't write it here, but I did it. Um, 
I watched a bit of it and I got bored. No, I, sorry, I was high and fell asleep and I just never You were high back. and you didn't like it? It's like the best high movie. Um, yeah, there's a couple. No, I, of, fell, I fell asleep. I, I, was, I was kind of enjoying myself and I fell asleep and then I just never got back. I, I mean, I, that was one of these. This We talked about. I have, we talked, that's a screener, so. Yeah, we talked about it with Bones and All. Um, I'll watch that probably tomorrow. Is it on the screener? I didn't notice. Yeah, I think so. Um, which I haven't seen because that's, that's against the rules. Um, I talked about this with Bones and All where like, I wasn't expecting to love Bones and All. I wasn't expecting anything out of 3,000 years of longing, but I just kind of like, it was on my radar. I kept waiting for it to get pushed to a streamer so I didn't have to pay four bucks for it. Yeah. But finally, like, I paid four bucks for it and I just stopped what I was doing and like, I literally stood in my living room for 40 minutes just kind of like watching this movie and there's a couple of, I mean, it's digital, visual effects, like, this whole, this whole film is visual effects. There's a couple of, there's like two wonky moments where like Tilda Swinton is clearly standing in front of like a green screen. They've got like the, the they got the ratios like a little wrong. Um, so the perspective's a little off. But um, other than that, it's it's breathtaking. I mean, he, George Miller does some incredible stuff in this film. Um, there's some dust stuff at the end of the movie that's just spectacular. Um, but yeah. Nice. 3,000 years of Earth. On Earth of longing. On Earth. <laughs> Uh, best original song. You're gonna be so mad, but go. Well, just you wait. Uh, my <clears throat> nominees. Okay, I'll name the first. Just name the first one for me. Your first one. No, first nominee. Yeah. I mean, I know New Body Rumba is is on there, your list. So New Body Rumba by LCD Sound System from White Noise. Burn It Down by Boy, Boy Harsher from Halloween Ends, and She Was by Camille from Corsage. Mm. My mm. winners, Burn It Down. Oh, interesting. Boy Good. Um, that it happens after uh, the dual kill scene. Um, it's a song that pops up after the dual kill scene of uh, the doctor and the, mm-hmm. and the hot ass nurse. Um, she's, who's, who's lured to the doctor's house by a kimono. Yeah. Um, she's apparently also a gymnast. Yeah, pretty good. Uh I like New Body Roomba. I like where it's... I, New Body Roomba is like a song I listen to a lot on mm-hmm. repeat, but it's just because I like LCD sound system. It doesn't really fit the movie, but like that Burn It Down song. I like it fits. The, the, the electronic... Yeah, for sure. The electronic stuff of the... This, the music of this movie fits. It's it's definitely... You know, Carpenter and Cody Carpenter don't make my list, but like there's what they did with the score for Halloween Ends is a lot better than the garbage they did with Halloween Kills, except for the opening yeah. thing with Halloween... The opening song of Halloween Kills. I don't know if that's their the fault, credits. though. I no, think Halloween Kills was like stinks. a travesty. Halloween Ends, I think, knows what kind of movie it wants to be, and every kind of aesthetic choice from the like the score to these songs like really fit. Yeah, and... Um, and it, it's exciting. In ways that Halloween Kills was like the ultimate slog, this movie, for all of its like vast failures, is still like... Exciting, and you're just kind of like, all right, what's now? Where am I? Where are we going yeah, now? now? Halloween Ends is officially a pivotal film award winner. Good job, Halloween Ends. We knew that was going to happen, right? It only wins that one, though. Don't worry, I won't mention it again. You did good, you did good. Um, you buy a room, but still a fun song, though. This is my other Black Panther one. Lift me up with Rihanna. By Rihanna, it's the song that plays between the end of the movie and the the mid-credit sequence when you find out that there's like a Prince T'Challa. I, um, my daughter hadn't seen this movie. Is this my, the one you thought I was going to be angry about? Yeah. Oh, oh that's, I like Me Rihanna. and my son. Uh, I dig Rihanna quite a bit. Yeah, she's good. I almost put the weekend song from Avatar on that. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. It's fun. And it's the same kind of thing. This movie is not, 
So I'll give this song credit for being in the same key of a bunch of um, Ludwig Gordonson's um, score stuff. This is, so it fi- it seems like it fits the, no, uh, like the sound aesthetic of the movie. Great. Rihanna's, I don't, I don't know if it's her or our producers, because I don't know how much of her own stuff she writes. Uh-huh. But um, her song, and I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I'm not going to get up. But her song off of Star Trek Beyond. Mm, I don't know that song. The third one. Uh, okay. The third movie in the series. It's fucking perfect for fitting like the uh, Michael Giancani. Remember Kano? when she was Giannoko? Yeah. Giannoko. Remember when she Fuck was it. like not so famous that she I'm would gonna, be on a Star Trek? I'm going to do it. Rihanna is what Beyonce wishes she could be. I think that's true. I think actually Rihanna's people fucking, don't want to say that, but Rihanna's like that's true. Great. Yeah. I love Rihanna. Um, I'm not going to be mad about that. I love, like if, Rihanna's like her music's great. If Beyonce came. She's a decent actress. Yeah. If Beyonce came uh, late to the Oscars. Her, her uh, Charles Gambino movie, like she's decent in that. Was that Mango Island? Yeah. Guava, Guava, Guava Island. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she's. And she's very attractive. If she came, if Beyonce came late to the Golden Glo- Globes, people would be like, Globes. Golden Globes. People would be like, oh, Beyonce's here, cool. When Rihanna comes late to the Golden Globes, everyone's like, for the rest of the evening, is like, Rihanna's right there. Rihanna, come however late you want. Does Beyonce you are an sitting Oscar there. Yet? No, I don't think so. And Rihanna could. Win I mean, Oscar. she's not for Austin Powers Golden Member. What's she going to win it for? Exactly. Well, What's she going to win it? Billie Eilish has an Oscar. No, it'd be like it, I actually think it'd be cool if she won it for like a short film, like for like a video or something. But she hasn't. And she's made a million of those, so I'm surprised she hasn't. Um, Lift Me Up, I think, is really good. I think it fits the message. The message of the movie, I think, is great. I always so. Oh, so I was saying is that my me and my son saw Black Panther um, on Martin Luther King Day just because the kids were off. There was nothing else in the movies. They didn't want to see Puss in Boots because it's available to rent now for less than it would cost for three people to go see that movie. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't end up seeing it. I'm really, I've heard it's... Close in Boots? Yeah. yeah, we'll catch it. We'll catch it eventually. Um, but we didn't want to go see it in theaters because that would just be wasting money. Um, so we saw Black Panther. So my daughter saw it and she really liked it. And it was very emotional. Mario, I know this movie isn't making like a ton of money anymore. It was a 11 or 12, 20 showing of Black Panther on um, Monday and it was sold out. There was zero seats available. It was fascinating. Fascinating. And people were really into the movie. Um, but this song, hearing it like a second time in context, um, got under my skin a lot. And I was like tearing up thinking about like the loss of Chadwick Boseman, which is like what's supposed to happen. Um, it was really good. My number two, I'm curious to know if you watched this movie because I, I texted it to you. This movie almost showed up on a bunch of my things, but I have like really complicated feelings about it because I think, just think it's... I don't know what it is, and I don't think it knows what it is either, and it's fucking crazy, and it's hard. It's just impossible to watch is Neptune Frost, directed by Saul Williams. So there's a song in this. The whole movie is full of Saul Williams songs, which is every single one of them is better than all other songs, except for one that came out this year, as far as I'm concerned. But he's got this song that's in like the first 20 minutes called Binary Stars that the character in the, a random character in the movie sings to somebody. I don't even know who they are, with black light paint all over their face and a bicycle tire spinning over their head and it's just fucking crazy but the song is this killer like slow dub thing that's a mix of like a native language and english and it's crazy and it's great and the whole the soundtrack fucking kicks and i recommend it highly to everybody my number one is not a surprise because i talked about it and we did it you make me feel like home trent reznor and atticus ross Bones and all. Taylor Russell is eating Timothy Chalamet while this is playing, and it is the best. The best, Mario. Because you know why it's the best? 
Because it just sounds like a Nine Inch Nails song. And that's awesome. Fair enough. I love Nine Inch Nails. Best original score. Uh-oh. So, this is a good category. We're starting into the big ones. Anomnies. Howard Shore. Crimes of the Future. Uh, Camille for Corsage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Wool, Mad God. Carter Burwell for Banshees of Inisherin. And uh, Michael Giacchino for The Batman. Hmm. You want me to guess? Hmm? Is Dan Wool? No. It's Michael Giacchino. Really for the Batman? For the Batman. That's good. It's, yeah, he was on my he was on my long list. It's a solid. It's a solid score. Um, it's it's one of I think all three iterations of Batman scores have been great and just continues the trend. You know, Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman. Classic score. Yeah. Um, uh, Hans Hans, Hans Zimmer's score for Batman Begins and all that's great. Yep. And then it just kind of continues it, but it has like more of like um. A story to it. There's a, there's a nuance to it that's not yeah, there. In there's the a nuance to it, and there's also <clears throat> like a respect to. There's some instances of Zimmer's score and some instances of Elfman's score, like flowing throughout this. Mm-hmm. Um, that just makes me love it. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those things that ties this. So this movie was on my. Um, I don't know. Maybe this movie's like fifteen. Like if I kind of had it to just yeah it's it's in my top 15. if I had to edge it um, if I had to like rank is it like, my top ten until like list. a few movies pop it's really good I've watched it a bunch of times because of the HBO Maxness of it um, if it took out its last fucking act it, it's, it's so good. probably in my top three it's a very very so that was like that was like my number eleven moment too I mean I felt like Warner was, Brothers being like hey we need a, a big bombastic scene besides the car chase. But the car chase is is, fa- I think it's, is yeah, utterly like terrific. once Riddler's caught, if you just end your movie there, I think you yeah. If you end your movie there, I think you're looking at like the number nine movie at the Oscars, or end it with the explosions or Riddler's explosions, something. Yeah, I don't know. It seems yeah. The ending is so lame. The Madison Square Garden thing just doesn't work. It's so lame. Yeah, and I feel, you could kind of feel that they knew it when they were making it. That's that's my opinion. Um. You had five, right? Because I, I just put five in this list. Yeah, of course. Yeah, just making sure. Um, well, I think we're out of the threes now. Yeah, right? we're out of the threes. Um, I don't know if you watched it. I, I, I sent it to you. Um, it's a Greek movie called Apples. It's my number five. It, the soundtrack is by a gentleman named Alexander Volgaris, um, who performs under the name The Boy. Um, we'll talk about Apples a bunch as we go through here. Um, well, not a bunch, a little bit, although it's, on my, it's, on my, um, it's in my top ten. Um, but we'll hit it a couple of places. Um, it functions a lot like um, Tatiana Lysovskaya's soundtrack for At Eternity's Gate from a few years ago, which I which I love desperately, which is putting... Did that win your score? Yeah, 100%. It's it's the reason why At Eternity's Gate is on my like new pivotal film list, like in the 90s, because that score is like in my blood now. Um, Can't do the pivotal film list again for 20 years. No, but I, it's one of those things where I've I've um, I've adjusted some things no, to make to make some room for like some of the new things. Um, it functions a little bit like that, um, and we'll t- I'll talk about like the movie as we get a little deeper into the podcast. Um, it's a uh, it's a uh, representat- representative of um, his his inner inner feelings about what's happening to him. Um, All quiet on the Western Front. Volker Bertelman, Bertelman um, I think, is just 
like really intense, this like intense industrial thing in this like World War One movie, like seems to fit perfectly. That's the only thing we talk about. It's the only thing of like that's um, basically anachronistic. Yeah, but it's 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 aggression is is not it's desperation is not and those no, quieter moments are are great too. Um, I'm so happy Mario to finally be able to talk about a Nick Cave and Warren Ellis score on this podcast because uh, I did not get to see the Velvet Queen in time last year to talk about it in our documentary list, um, which is a beautiful score which would have won my score last year, um, but it didn't make it. Um, but it came out in 2021, so I, like, I couldn't fake. It was literally playing at the Criterion Cinema in 2021, so I couldn't, I couldn't um, fake it here. Um, for Blonde, uh, which is a movie we'll, uh, we haven't really mentioned very much um, up to this point, but we'll talk about as we go. Um, it's Nick Cave and Warren Ellis doing Nick Cave and Warren Ellis things, and I love them. So um, forgive me for like my like pseudo-nepotism here. Like, it doesn't even really matter what they're doing. It's just fucking great. I think great. it's fanboyism, actually. Not it is a little bit. No, but, like, I just feel like it doesn't... It, no, they're, they get the spot. They, they get it. They get, they, get a, they get a spot on the list. My number two is Dan Wool, Mad God. I, 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 like I said, I rewatched some of this, but, like, I listened to the score on Spotify, and I think the thing that's really fascinating about the score is that it functions as the film's language. Because He's my, he's my four. Oh, yeah? I think. I think so. My two is sure... For Crimes of the Future, because I think that's what works best in that movie. My three is Carter Burwell. The Power Bars, Mario. Power Bars. Oh. It's, production, it's, it's all production design. you got to <laughs> get those Power Bars out there. Um, that movie functions as like the language of the movie. Because yeah, it scores what that movie's about. Yeah. But if you, listen, if you listen to it like without the movie, all the sound effects that are happening in the movie are actually in the score. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing. My number one is um, Bones and All. I don't have very much to say about it. It just sounds like great Nine Inch Nail stuff. I love it. Um, I love Bones and All. I never thought I'd put uh, Trent Reznor Atticus Ross score on my uh, on my uh, list because they usually only score movies that I hate. Mm. So well, they get back to that next year when they do The Killer, don't they? So I might like that. <laughs> okay. You never know. Uh, best production design. So my nominees are. I will. I will mention really. I will get into one of my nominees because I think you get might, into it. Get into it. I think you might dislike the fact that I nominated it. Uh, so, Mad God, mm. uh, Marshall, the shell with shoes on. You talked about visual effects. I put it in production design. I almost put the Pinocchio same, here for the same for the same reason. reason. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. There you go. Thank you very much. Uh, Banshees of Inisherin and White Noise. Oh, interesting. Uh, the reason I put White Noise in here. Um, reading about it afterwards. I love fucking the set design of the grocery store mm. and to find out that it was based upon an Andres Gursky photograph on 99 cent to Diptychon. Um, I'll show it to you later. Okay. Uh, to find out like it had like that much attention to detail um, made, me, made me just really appreciate the production design. That being said, it's still white noise. It doesn't win because what wins for me? I'm assuming Banshees. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Wins by production design. Nice. Um, it was my number it six. Fucking, it fucking does, of course. Yeah. It's, it's a MoMA art exhibit. Um, that deserves to be so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's beautiful. It's it's just, it is it is art. Uh, you're braver than me. I mean, maybe not brave. I had um, Pinocchio on there as well, and I was like, I'm not sure how, like, the stop motion animation factors into like I guess it does, but it's designed. It does. I know. Production. Right. I know. 
But I did the design I did, of the production. I couldn't pull the trigger. Yeah. So I just kind of went with my tried and true um, space. I thought about space, and I thought about how movies use space, and I thought about... Did I say Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? Sorry, I meant to say Robert Zemeckis's Pinocchio. <laughs> Gosh, that's embarrassing. Um, but it's good. I'm glad Tom Hanks is going to be represented somewhere on this on, on this market. He made a lot of movies this year, um, none of which I like. Um, yeah. But I haven't seen a man called Otto yet. I mean, Elvis was like seventh in my sound mixing, so as that going for it. The movie is exhausting. Yes, it is. Um, my number five is The Whale. I think that apartment works. Yeah, um, I agree. I think it. I think it's one of the. I think it makes a lot of sense. It looks dirty, but not disgusting. It looks like it smells, but not like so bad. Like he clearly. It looks like it smells like some sweat. Sweat and and but like not like decay, but like just unsettling. Yeah, I love the idea, and I've said this every single year we've done this podcast. I love the idea when I can see, I know where everything is. I know where our character is going to go. This is part of my problem with Nope. Because Nope was originally like on this list for a while, but I remember when we I first watched Nope and like they went to the Stephen Young's ranch, and then he went to his house, which is apparently right behind Stephen Young's ranch, but like they make you think like it's really far away, and it's for no I don't think it's for any reason I think it's just kind of like how they shoot it, and then they're like oh no it's just right there and I was like it's weird that you didn't sh- like you showed us going to it first and then going there, but you're not acknowledging that it's, like, right there, that you could, like, wave to him from, like, wherever he's doing his thing. It's weird yeah. they don't know what's going on, even though they can literally see it from their fucking house. And they're like, what's he? He's doing a thing. It's like, yeah, you could see him doing a thing. He's constructing a fucking stadium that you could see right there. I'm not sure why you're so surprised. Yeah. Um, 3,000 Years of Longing is my number four. Um, a lot of great sets in that thing. Um, my number three, I think, is you'll find it interesting is Prey. Because there's, especially those last two fight scenes, part of the reason that the choreograph, the choreography. the choreography of those scenes work so well is because they've established, like, how that space is going to function. Yeah. You know what I mean? They both function as circles, um, and they both kind of have these, these things on the outside of the circles. And especially, or even, like, the last three fight scenes with, like, the, the, the foggy the foggy trees and stuff like that. You don't know where you are, but the predator is also not just popping out of nowhere and being like, hi, I'm a predator. Chop your head off. You know what I mean? Like it's, they've thought if of only he did. If, if only they thought, I keep thinking that I don't know how you feel about this. This is a digression. Do you get the impression that 65, that Adam driver movie or 65 million oh, 65, yeah, yeah. is a predator movie? Is no. he the first predator? That gun freaks me out. Why does he have that gun? And why do they keep showing it so much in the trailers? I'm glad he's getting that bag. That's all I care about. I guess so. Um, my number two is, for the same reason, is Barbarian. You know what I mean? That whole, the house, you got the house, you got the extra layers, you go down, you kind of, you know, when, they're, tape measure. when they're in the hole, you don't get the impression that, like, there's no getting out of this hole. You know what I mean? Like, you get the impression that, like, they're going to get... I don't know where it is exactly, but it seems like to follow a pattern, you know what I mean, of where everything else is. Yeah. I, you know, you assume they get out. Even beyond that, like outside the house, like even though it's because I think it was filmed in like Romania or Croatia. Really? I think, yeah, it's not filmed in America. Oh. Um, 
he was so Zach Krager was making it when uh, Trevor Moore died. Um, oh. They're filming in Europe because it was cheaper, and like even the outside stuff like fits for that. It know, does. I, it I, really I, does. No. Um, my number one is Tar. Um, for kind of all the reasons that we six, talked yeah. about before, um, any novel, any movie that functions as a novel um, and succeeds as functioning as a novel is going to be really dependent on its staging, on its set design, on um, how people move through this this world and what this world is. Um, and I think it's part of its appeal mm-hmm. is is in its like really meticulous production design. Yeah, I I have it later in a different category for a similar reason. Mm. Yeah. All right. In the best documentary. Now, the way we did documentary was we agreed to watch five documentaries because there's so many documentaries. And then we would rank those five, and they're kind of like a big five. Well, four of them. Three of them are big. Four of them are big. Only two of them will probably be nominated for the Oscar, I think. Two? Um, you don't think four of them will? No, I think only maybe three. Hmm. Uh, I think maybe. all the beauty, all that breathes are definite. Um, you don't think Fire of Love is definite? I think Fire of Love's maybe like a six. Hmm. Five or six. Moonage is like a five or six, and I don't think the Sendit gets nominated. You don't think so? No. Uh, how, do you, how do we want to do Let's, I don't know. Let's, let's just, just, let's, I, let's, rank, let's, I let's have just both say our five. Like, let's just say our ranks, and then maybe and then talk we can about, talk about, about them. Yeah. You want to do them in ranks? You I got I, them ranked? Well, I ranked them, yeah. Go. Okay, so uh, what did I tell you before? You wanted to amend your worst movies of the yeah. year list. All the beauty and bloodshed fucking sucks. I don't... It is. Tw- there's a 25-minute long sequence where they just show still images and voiceover, and the movie kind of wanders and doesn't do anything. I think that's one of the best parts of the movie, but I also... Don't disagree with you. I this I found this movie to be a huge disappointment, even though it's not my number it's a, five. It's a bore. It's it it's it's laborious. It's a bore and laborious. Um, I don't think it makes any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It it ends Who? up being an AIDS movie before it, it becomes it, an opioid movie, but it's it like doesn't a, connect the two. Yeah, ever. why? I mean, so, but here's the other thing, Mario. And it's I'll admit it's my number four. Yeah. Um, what's your number five? My number five is Moon Age Daydream. Okay, because that's just, my number three. I will say this. Three through five, I don't like. So I, my number five, Mooney Jidrim is my number five is just because, and I'll just get through it really quick and then we can talk about, we can talk about all the beauty and the bloodshed, is I just don't care. Yeah. Right, Morgan's whole thing, so I don't number, give a shit. My number three, I don't, I don't care. Like, Mooney Jidrim looks cool at points and it's edited well together. Yeah. I just don't give a shit. Like it's, it. I don't think it's representative of what David Bowie's existence was like or if David Bowie is an artist or anything. No, like, it just tries to be clever. Yeah, I don't, it's like who clever. gives a shit? No. Um, all the Beauty and the Bloodshed, I think the problem with it for me is, was, four, right? is my four, but I feel kind of the same way that you do about it. Um, Nan Golden is the least interesting person in this documentary. I want, like, every time they stop to talk about somebody, I want the documentary to shift to just being about that person. Why can't it be about, why can't the whole movie be about her sister? Why can't the whole movie be about David Vernerovitz? Why can't the whole movie be about, like, you know, the art punk scene in New York in like the seventies. Nan Golden is, is fine. She's taken some really interesting pictures. Uh, you know, I don't care. Like she's, she's piggybacking off of some like 
Well, I real remember, like mo- like like titans of art and uh, and culture and activism, and she is just there. The entire time I'm watching this, I'm thinking I just kept thinking of How to Survive the Plague, mm. which is a great documentary from like 2000. I don't remember the date. 13, yeah, 2012, 2013. But like that's a great documentary, which deals with like the 80s and Ed Koch's like fucking bumbling of and just Ed Koch being a giant cunt. Ed Koch is. The best and worst mayor New York ever had. I thought he was just like definitively one of the worst. No, but he's well, such a goofball. York, he's York such a City personality. Mayors have all sucked. Um, but I think New York loved Ed Koch, even though everybody died. Yeah, but like, I kept watching this, like, think of how to survive the plague and like how well that movie handled the footage, um, and just this kind of just throws it all into the dumps. Well, I get the idea that they want to show Nan Golden photographs, and that's fine. And I get the idea that Nan Golden has some stories to tell because she was around some really interesting people, and that's fine too. But I don't see how this... Ties into the opioid uh, The opioid edition of, of, like, this organization that's clearly full of New York elites. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear about this from you people. Yeah. I'm sad that you've all had this problem. That sucks. And I'm glad that you've, like, stuck it, like... You used your um, position in, in the art society to kind of like dictate some terms to these museums, but like, give me a give me Dreamland, you know the Sam Cajones book where it's like, uh, or Quione's book where it's Cajones, um, where it's like this is who oh, the opioids are affecting, like, yes, it's affecting the it's affecting New York elites too, sure, but it's destroying towns in Ohio. You know what I mean? It's not just like, it's not just like shitty that they have their names on like the Guggenheim. It's shitty that the fucking Sacklers fucking emptied out like huge swaths of the Midwest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how, I mean, how do you marry these two things together? And it doesn't. And that's what it needs to do. It's either about like AIDS. It's either about like the way that we treat mental health in uh, this country or it's about opioids. And this is like decides it wants to be about all of them. it tries to be an opioid movie in the end, but like I just remember like watching this. And did you ever read Death on Mudlick? No. Death on Mudlick by mm-hmm. um, Eric Isle, mm-hmm. Iyer or whatever. Yeah, like that. It covers like he's the one that uncovered like the entire West Virginia thing with Jim Jordan mm-hmm. and everyone okay. else. Um, and just about like the story of the small town. I'm just watching it going like this is like who I fucking care about. I don't yeah. care about like these rich art assholes who decided they wanted to take. A I mean, of I'm pills. a I'm a big David Vernerovitz fan. And it, like, when they get to David Vernerovitz in the 80s and act up and, like, him just kind of, like, making art that specifically confronted the idea of, like, what America was doing to the gay population, what was letting happen to the gay population, to the people that had AIDS, I was just like, enough, Nan Golden. It is enough. I'm sad that you got addicted to opioids, but, like, David Vernerovitz is a hero. Like, in a a million ways. You know, your sister is a hero and is more interesting than you'll ever be. And I think she kind of acknowledges it, but like doesn't commit to that idea. And the film doesn't commit to that idea either because I think they've tied themselves so closely to Nan Golden fighting the Sacklers that it can't say these people are, I don't know, more significant, yeah. which feels shitty to say, but like it feels like the film is like it doesn't saying earn, it, but it not doesn't saying earn it at the same premise, time. Basically. It doesn't. Yes, thank you for saying. <laughs> what's, your, what's your number three? My number three is Fire Love, which I think is fine. Okay. 
I, I I think Miranda July is a is a is should read everything and narrate all documentaries forever. But I think that um, Werner Herzog got himself into the same trouble when he made his documentary about these people, where I like, saw the documentary about them. Yeah, that he made. It's yeah. the same. It's like the same thing. It's like aren't these two people really fascinating? And they are up to a point, and then they kind of stop being fascinating. So my my number four, um, my number three being Moonage Daydream. Um, spoilers. My number one is, is Fire. Emblem. Oh really? Okay. I'm not gonna really talk about it right now. Oh, it's because oh, it's in gotcha, the top ten. Gotcha. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. We, we can actually discuss it then. Mm. Um, showing that my number two is all that breathes, but my number four is Descendant. Um, I don't know. I've seen this movie done before. Sure. A thousand times. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's the, the subject matter is interesting. Uh, the, the, the guy who they kind of like, it's somewhat a focal point. The guy who like showing all the maps. Mm-hmm. I forgot his name is interesting and whatnot. But it falls into all these tenets and this boring bullshit that so many documentaries do. It seems uh, really long, even though it's a normal length of a movie. It's it's what like an hour fifty. Yeah, I think. But uh, it, it falls into these things that most documentaries do, of the driving around and pointing out like where, you know, the people who are the villains of this thing own everything. Yeah. Or Somebody says something, and now they're going to look at the camera while the camera slowly pans around their face. So I just watch this going like, this is every fucking goddamn doc. It, the, the subject itself is great. The, the story it's telling is great. It's directed like a fucking garbage. My, uh, my wife pointed that exact. I know exactly what you're talking about because she hated that also. She was like, why do they do that? When it was happening, she's like, why is this happening? She's like, this is taking me all the way out of this movie. Yeah. Uh, the, the first time it happened, I was like, oh, not nah, don't do that. Yeah. And then it did it three more times. The only reason it's my number two is because I, is kind of for all the reasons that you said, like, I think the subject matter is really interesting. I think it's really important. I like the idea that they casually inserted a villain in the movie without really saying, like, he's a villain, which is, like, the guy that found it that's constantly for the rest of the movie being like, I found it. I, fa- I found the ship. Yeah. I found it. Like that guy sucks, and then there's like the the there's the um, the descendant of the captain of the ship that's just kind of like oh I heard he was pretty good he was good to his slaves and then that one guy majestically out of nowhere that almost made my like list of moments was just like good slave owner or bad slave owner is still a slave owner and everyone's just kind of like like shuts up and yeah. I'm like yes fuck you people like fuck everybody that's not one of these people. But yes, you're right. It's like it's it's weird. No, it's and that's that's the thing that bums me out. This movie is like it's it's, it's an interesting movie, a lot of interesting subjects. But I'm not gonna look up the director's name because I don't want to shit on Margaret Brown. I just don't want to shit on the person's the person. I made me sad I just, that she. Was, I just think it it sucks from it, a direction standpoint. It bummed me out that she was white. Oh, of course, I she think is. that's a problem. No, because it's a white. It, it's 100 a fucking white person making yeah. this. Movie. I think it's so. Here's another thing. Like there's still like a fucking. There's still a punching down. Yeah. Not punching down, but there's still like no. a coddling of I, the subject matter. I don't, this didn't, probably didn't. Because like there's, you know what bums me about this movie? Yeah. there's a really fucking interesting sequence where like the guy's talking about the property taxes and showing all the, the like the framed photos of the property taxes yeah. throughout it. And I'm like, I want to see more of this guy. And like his wife or friend, mm. I'm not sure what the relation is, but she's kind of like there with him. Mm-hmm. And like, I just want to see more of this. And like, or like where the guy's kind of like sitting there on the side of the busy road, pointing out the things that used to exist. Used to exist, yeah. And it's just like <clears throat> fucking, 
but it just seems like a you white want... person kind of like popped in there and was like, hey, poor black people. Well, like the, or like the National Geographic guy that was like, we have this really amazing... And that's why I love... We have a, painted this really amazing picture of a slave ship and people are just like, that's not amazing and, and we'll to me. About, and we'll talk about... And that's my thing, I think, now with documentaries. And we're like, I love Free Solo and like Fire of Love's my favorite documentary since Free Solo mm. or City Hall's another documentary I loved is like fucking white people, white, decently wealthy people are making most documentaries. Mm-hmm. And they could only I if I make it, if I ever made a documentary I'd just make a documentary about white people who are in my same yeah economic class because it feels not pandering but it feels as though it is um, that term I'm looking for where you're kind of like you know I do know what feeling I can't. like sympathy for mm. these people who are yeah just, like a false empathy yeah like a forced empathy my thought watching Descendant the whole the whole movie. Is because it's it's fairly recent, you know. what I mean, it's like 2018, 2019 into the pandemic. Yeah, was where the fuck is Barack Obama during this whole thing? Like, why? Where is he? Oh, like, he's ranking, he's ranking his favorite movies of the year. But you, do you know what I mean? Like, and I wonder. I I'm not saying that like that should have occurred to you, um, in like an accusatory way. But like, it seems weird that like the, you have a black president who seems like he should be like who has a film production company who should be fucking on this. Well, no, shit. it's this is. It's higher it's, ground? It's, it is higher ground. But did they send it to a higher ground movie? Did they movie. buy it? Or did they... I don't know. They should have been like... But in, it's a higher ground movie. So the fact that it's a high, So I can't even... I I've can't even process pa- that. I'm almost Please positive. look it up. I If it's not... I'm going to stop. And I'm going to wait until you figure it out. It's higher ground. That fucking make... That blows my fucking mind. How does this... Like, how can he be involved in this movie and like... Not be like, so all these people are like, I don't know how we're going to pay for this. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're going to make this. This Barack Obama is just going to give you the money. I, don't, I mean, I don't understand. And like, how does a black filmmaker not make this movie? That makes no fucking sense. It's, it's, it's that's, fucking that's, insane. That's why I think I, that, this movie, grew, like this, I mean, if I didn't hate all the beauty and bloodshed as much as I did, this, th- these four, like, I don't care about Minute Daydream. It's just like a boring movie that doesn't yeah. care. But four and five, I fucking hate. It's weird. It's very, um, it was a very weird, I had a lot of mixed feelings about all these documentaries, except for but All That Breeze. Let's, let's talk about, so your number one, my number two. Is All That Breeze. I think it's majestic. It's, it's very human. It's beautiful. I think I get these guys. I um, I like I them, them a too. lot. When they talk for like three minutes about the Mankind versus Undertaker match, Absol- I was like, whoa. When, they're, and when they're, it looks like they're cleaning soap dispensers at that moment. Like they're trying to do all these things. You can feel their suffering. You're, they're right, you're right in New Delhi. Like the idea that they've they've not tried to directly graft politics to this, to like the situation it's, that they're in per se, I think is is fantastic. The, thing, the, the, thing the cinematography movie, is beautiful. It's boring. That's what I love about love this movie. It. Yes, because of the fact it's just like this is what it is. Like there's there's no real plot to be spoken of. Like in terms, no real like emotional. No, not plot. That's not that's not the right word. There's no emotional manipulation in it. It's for just, sure. Like when this, when that, when they're swimming out to save that kite at that like inlet and they have to go across the water and then they're coming back and that one guy, I don't know if it's the brother or if it's like the guy that they work with who they just like beat on the whole time he gets his glasses stolen, which is just what also made, almost made my moments list. When he's like, I'm so tired, I'm not going to make it. A different documentary is like, uses that for drama and they just focus on the one brother who didn't go in, who's like, I told you guys not to do this. 
I told you not to do this. And then he undresses and like casually goes out and they're like, I'm so tired. And they go back and then they help the kite. And then like that, then they, at that moment they reveal that one of those guys is a family and he like, yeah, he's got a full-time job and is one of those, he got two full-time jobs. One of them being saving these birds and is married and has a kid. Yeah. I, I think and all that just fascinating. is probably my, I mean, fire of loves on my top 10. But Fire of Love's on my top ten because it's very theatrical and bombastic, mm-hmm. and it just you you've listened to this podcast for five or six years. You know me; I, I love when people die at the foot of volcanoes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but I, I just love bigness. Yeah, you know, big when it's when it's done in a way that's not exploitative. Um, the drama is very but, obvious and very satisfying in Fire yeah, of Love, but. This movie is like what I want from a documentary, which is just like, here it is. Here's the truth. Here's the proof and whatnot. We edited it in a way to like create a narrative, but it's not, um, it's not done in a way that feels like it's, it's meant to create a story. Mm. It just kind of is, it feels like a reduced <clears throat> section of a few weeks of these people's lives. But this is where I, and I'll compare this to another movie. Besides the fact of like creating like the the connection between the two is obvious. Sure, intentionally well, done, but like you have to do that. I think there's there's um, an obvious connection point. I think for me and how I'm viewing like this year's movies between All That Breathes, which is like probably in that top fifteen for me for movies, and something like Decision to Leave, where they have directors Park Chan Wook in one, and like a director who I've never heard of or encountered before in um, All That Breathes, and they they are not holding your hand. They're not going to tell you how this works you're just gonna to have to sit and watch figure it out um and i appreciate that because so many movies now are just like i'm gonna walk you like navalny give me a fucking break i'm trying to watch give me but, a fucking break like come on like it's i get it it's like a in- really interesting story the documentary is like for 10 year olds you know what i mean like this is for 10 year olds to you know experience geopolitical like assassination attempts like you know like who was this that like shitty book series like come on i just that's why i like appreciate these movies so much because they're so hard yeah like all the breathes is not an easy movie it's no like, no it's a hard movie even though it's just about guys saving birds but people are going to tune out because it's just for like, sure dull it's to say the better way it's dull from a storytelling perspective what's not often dull Tom? what you tell me the visuals of the movie uh-oh not dull. You're right. The best cinematography. Uh, my nominees. Florian Hoffmeister for Tar. Mm, good ben for you. Davis. Banshees of Inner Journey. We talked about production design, by the way. Yep. There it is. The cinematography is what I consider. Gotcha. Uh, Bianca Klein. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Uh, Kim Jing Ong. Decision to Leave. And Rob Hardy for Men. Hmm, interesting. Assume you're going Banshees here. My winner is Ben Davis for Banshees of Inertion. Um, just those establishing shots, laying the camera, like those establishing shots are so great. Once again, um, the fact that the look of this movie in two ways, one establishes the distance from the rest of the world, but establishes the closeness between the people on the island. Mm-hmm. Um, and always does that. The colors pop. Uh, there's there's a lot of attention to. Um, I don't know. If, I don't. I don't think there's any really saturation being done here. Hmm. Um, 
but so much focus on just the clothing, which leads into like the theme of the costume design, uh, the smart camera placement, which is obviously a direction issue with like when he talks about the niceness versus art sort of thing, and you get the photo of Christ in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, it this movie at once from its visual standpoint has a warmness to it, but also a distance, and it just works in its conglomerate parts. Um, I agree with you. It was almost, it was like on my short list. Um, my number five is a movie that we talked about at our best of uh, the midway point is uh, Benoit Debbie from Vortex. Um, you know, they're using cameras in like a totally, completely original way. To I forgot of... Vortex was a 2022 movie for yeah. us. I completely ignored it. Um, Oops. <laughs> but it's just like that whole, yeah. that like the split screen thing yeah. kind of perfectly exemplifies like these two different consciousnesses and how they're functioning in the same like space together. It's fascinating. Um, my number four chase Irving for blonde, um, which relies like solely on its cinematography to kind of tell, not even tell its story. Um, I'm not even going to go that far. It is to, um, convey a feeling of, um, just claustrophobia. Um, but of, Loneliness, uncertainty of loneliness detachment. of I will say of, Blonde's nowhere like for being my most anticipated movie it's, it's just nowhere it's I'm fine yeah. it's on my list plenty of times we could talk about it my number three is um, Ji Young Kim for Decision to Leave I mean he earns that from just the last sequence and he can have you, it you asked me you said like you didn't know where it shows up on this is it really oh interesting not, not a fan um, I think it uses We'll, we'll talk about it later, but I just think it uses a lot of easy Asian filmmaking stuff, um, and that bummed me out. I think he does it on purpose, but we'll talk about it. I do think he does too. Yeah. It just doesn't work for me in the way I wanted it to. I think he tries to. I think he there's after this after the first half of the movie. I think he transcends a lot of stuff, and I think that's where the movie comes alive, where both the main characters kind of realize that it, like something is really fucking happening that they. Didn't ex- that they didn't expect and they don't want to happen and the, I think the filmmaking is indicative of it that, does like, but character I, it experience. does the unfortunate part is, is I've already tuned out and like I mm. try to get back in I try to get back into it um, so I watched it and I was pretty like drunk um, when I watched it the first time and I was like I'm just not getting into this and I woke up the next day and started rewatching it and I just still I got through it but I just could not I'm so emotionally distant from that first part mm. which I think is intentional. But I can't get I think back the first, in. Emotionally distant, I think it's supposed to be emotionally confusing. You're not supposed to know how you feel about either of these well, people. Or like the relationship so that they had. My issue is like, it, it's very similar to... Um, uh, Jean, he raised a Red Lantern, basically from mm. 91. Okay. Um, which has that kind of like emotional distance and like slowly brings you in. Um, but I think this has that too, and I think it's functioning the same way, except for the fact that when he's ready to be emotionally, jarring. it's too jarring. But I think that's like the beauty is that when he's slow. ready to be emotionally close, he is standing on top of her in the ocean. No, I understand, and it's I, that's like it works. Yeah, it does. We'll, I get we'll it. talk about. Yeah, yeah. Well, we will. I assume we will. We're we will. More, but yeah. um, my number two is Bones and All. Um, Arseni catch you, <clears throat> catch a Turin. Mm-hmm. Um, Bones and All. I mean. What they do with medium shots in this movie and the color yellow and the color maroon is kind of fucked up. I love what they do with the blues, too. Oh, it's so good. It's so good, Bones and All. 
My number uh, one is uh, Gregory Oki for After Sun. Um, every shot tells a story in this movie. Um, I, it's this my long is, list, but yeah. This is a frame-by-frame. Frame. If Roger Ebert was still alive um, and was still going to universities and doing into film study programs, doing frame-by-frame frame, like lectures, um, this would be one of them. I think After Sun makes the 2032 sign sound list. Maybe. I mean, it won there. It was their, it won their picture, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's like, even if it's just the two of them, Sophie and um, Colm just lying down. Well, um, it's means something. See, my only issue with the cinematography in that, um, and I guess we'll talk about this when I get to the direction, is the fact that like sometimes it, it kind of like focuses on the easy shots, and that's what kind of like distanced me from it. Uh, there's that one shot where they're Sophie and Colm are talking to each other on the edge of the bed. That's totally told from the perspective of the television screen, mm-hmm. and. I, the fact that I noticed that made me go like, oh, man. Like, there's so many amazingly solid shots in that. Like, her just watching the parachuting and whatnot. But, like, that happens, and it's immediately followed by the shot of them talking again, and it's just framing them against the um, their shadows yeah. against the wall. And then you go like, it's a Charlotte Wells problem, being a 34-year-old See, first-time filmmaker. Um, but I kind of, like, it, because I noticed it, I was just like, oh. So like after sun is like seven or eight for me, but like, yeah, we'll talk about that stuff. I think, but like, I think for me, I love the shot where I think it's maybe even the same shot, the same moment where like you see the TV and next to the TV is a bunch of books Yeah, and they're kind of like, it's like the Tai Chi and all this other stuff. And you're like, and you see him doing like a little Tai Chi but like earlier, like when he's on the, you talked about it earlier, when he's smoking the cigarette on the balcony, he's like trying to dance, but then he like slips into a Tai Chi thing. Like this is the thing he's trying to do. So all of the, there's a lot of layers, like every shot. And it's, so this is, this is like the third movie in like the, I'm not fucking holding your hand trilogy in this, this year where like, she's not telling you anything. But visually, she's giving you all the information. The clues, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And that's where, I think that's why it ranks so high from a cinematography standpoint for me. That makes sense. Well, from cinematography, where do we go, Tom? You gotta, you gotta put those together. Yeah. You gotta put those shots together, Mario. How Best do you do that? Film editing. But let's hear, let's hear your oh, rankings wow. first. My number five is Blonde um, for very um, reasons directly related to the Cinematography, um, the whole power of this movie is in its its images and how it puts those images together and what it, it what it does with them. Um, you know, the idea of like the Marilyn Monroe thing is is you know complicated. You know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um but it is, you know, they switch kind of seemingly haphazardly the aspect ratio like all the time. Yeah. It's black and white, it's color, um, it's it's you know uh, surreal. It's um, you know realistic. There's tracking shots. There's there's everything you can kind of possibly want, and they jam them all together, and it um, manifests in a very discomforting feeling. Something that like leaves you um, feeling kind of gross and bad for Marilyn Monroe, but also kind of in awe of like everything you're seeing, which is, I think is what Andrew Dominic is saying we should be feeling about Marilyn Monroe, not just kind of like, she's so great. Yeah. Um, my number four is, so this is actually directly, kind of almost directly reflective of my cinematography list. My number four is Decision to Leave. 
they, he builds the drama um, in a really interesting way. And that's kind of like that not holding your hand thing. He just cuts when he wants to cut. He shows you what he wants to show. Um, he's using visuals and audio, like almost kind of against each other sometimes to to build that drama, to like show what that relationship must feel like. To, so the viewer has like a visceral response to um, what these two people like getting together, but like not wanting to get together, but like desperately wanting to be together um, must feel like. My number three is apples. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about it more. Apples is um, in a way perfectly edited. Every shot lasts for as long as you think it should last. This is the thing that I kind of, this is like my one major flaw in St. Omer is that I think it's edited a little haphazardly. I'm not sure why they cut to who they cut to when they're in like in the in the courtroom. I'm not sure why they cut away when they cut away. It seems like they're just kind of doing it to just make sure like we know where we are in space. These are the people. These are how they're reacting. Um, but sometimes no one's reacting and you're not sure why that happened. Every decision that the editor in Apples makes is the right decision. And it has the effect of flowing really like... So there's been a lot, of, and we'll talk about this too, there's been a lot of writing about how this is kind of like a Charlie Kaufman movie um, or a Yorgos Lanthimos movie, which is um, like the mix between the two, which is interesting because the director's Yorgos Lanthimos is like first um, AD. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so it's actually think he addresses it like very early on in the movie where like the main character is like hitting his head against a wall and I'm just like, that. Uh, that's a Yorgos Lanthimos thing. Yeah. It's like the one thing he does that's like a Yorgos Lanthimos thing and he does it very early and it just kind of, it's... But it's like the perfect amount of beats, and it just like, a perfect kind of a classical piece of music. It's really beautiful. Bones and All is number two. Um, After Sun um, is number one because it just, I mean, the way that it uses sound and visuals, the way that it kind of leaves you um, unsure of where it's going or what it's doing, um, it's all purposeful. And it's kind of, um, like I think specifically of the um, sequence where um, Calm leaves Sophie out all night, yeah, and um, you're not 100 percent sure. I'm not 100 percent sure now, and I've seen this movie a couple of times of if that really happened, or if that is kind of what she thinks happened, um, because he's already like fell asleep or something. Something like because like, like I got the idea maybe he fell asleep in the. My thinking is that because it's told, and I hate, I fucking hate this, so I'm, I hate myself now. Like it's told through like the lens of like um, it's she's remembering this yeah that she is inserting she doesn't know what he was wearing so he was wearing all black you know what I mean that goes to the costume design again when he like walks into the ocean because at no point through the whole movie does he wear a black t shirt black pants yeah to go do anything um, and all of a sudden he's and he's he's wearing that um, the editing on that sequence is 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 perfect. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's after sun in a movie that, in a year that has like a lot of like imperfect things like happening from like a cinema standpoint. After sun kind of like in bones and all to a certain extent, kind of like it's like I'm up here doing this, and you all really like Top Gun and everything all everywhere at once. She's younger than us, by the way. I know. High five. Hater. High five. Once again, showing that film editing from me is uh, <laughs> way different than the way Tom looks at it. My five nominees, Mikkel E.G. Nielsen for The Banshees of Inner mm. uh Aaron Casper and Jocelyn Chaput for The Fire of Love, 
Uh, Angela Catanzaro and Claudia Castello for Prey. Uh, Lois Ford for The Northman. And hey, William, The Northman. Yeah. And William Hoy and Tyler Nelson for The Batman. Because, mm. man, when it comes to editing, do I prefer an action film's editing? I get it. Um, it's, I think it's because I'm not an action movie guy. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Banshees? Can we go Banshees here? Are we going Batman here again? Angela Catanzaro and Claudia Castanello. Ello for Prey. I get it. Prey was like my seven. Like I, when I made my long list, yeah, it's just it's, because those last those last two yeah, sequences it's, specifically it's, it's an are hour and beautiful, forty minute long movie, and every like I've watched this movie six times now. Every time I watch it, I don't, I can't see anything I would take away from it. Mm-hmm. I'm a Northman, like I will. I'm gonna mention Northman again later. Do it. Oh, but, you are uh, okay. Good. I am gonna mention Northman again later. But like Northman from an editing standpoint, I just want to mention this quickly because I haven't mentioned Northman until this point. Uh, it's a two hour and 30 minute long movie almost. And mm-hmm. there's nothing from that movie. I also want to take out um, these, these five movies, uh, four of the movies, I think Banshees, Prey, Northman and Batman, Batman. I definitely would take out the last 40 minutes. It's not the editor's that's problem. Not, that's not an editor's problem. I do forgive slightly. Uh, Matt Reeves, not a nominee, but he was on my like long, long mm-hmm. list. Um, but even still, they're doing the work there. Yeah. And I think all five of these movies are very, when it comes down to choosing shot composition, choosing the pace, choosing a tonality, they just work so well. But Prey is the best action movie I've seen since Widows, technically. Yeah. But before Widows, the best pure action, like in removing a drama, it's the best pure action movie I've seen since Dread and mm. uh, The Raid. I liked Prey a lot. Prey was, Prey was a lot of fun, and it deserves we're, all the credit we're, we're, in the world. It, it's, it's in, you know where, you know it's don't in you my, wish You that, know it's in my top ten. Don't you kind of wish that the uh, the Oscars would say, like, just throw something at it for something? I don't even know what it would be, but just, like, here's this. Like this, a, was, this was also editing, good. Editing's the only thing I could think you could throw at it. Right? Yes. Amber Midthunder sneaks in ahead of everybody. Michelle Williams? She's out. She's fucking out, man. Oh, that's the theme of that's the theme of this whole podcast of, is that she's out. Moving into our actors after this break. <laughs> okay, we're back. We've refreshed with some more champagne of beers and champagne of uh, flash drives that you can <laughs> inhale. Uh, actor in a leading role, Tom. It's a little. Drum roll. drum roll. My nominees, Brendan Fraser as Charlie in The Whale. He does not win, as I always play yep. him. Uh, Colin Farrell as Padrick. Um, how do you say the last name again? Suleiman. Suleiman in The Banshees of Inisher. Gabriel LaBelle as Sammy Fableman in The Fablemans. Paul Mezcal has Callum Patterson in After Sun. Robert Pattinson as the Batman slash Bruce Wayne. In the Batman. I am not mad about Robert Pattinson. Good for him. That guy is the fucking best. Every decision he makes is good. He's the best Batman. Yeah. He's by far. Um, oh, do you want me to? Hmm. I guess. Or do you want me to do? Just, yeah, just guess. I'm going to say Paul Mescal. So, I talked to you 
earlier about how I had two categories where uh, I had two winners mm. and I had to reduce it. Um, the first category being actor in a supporting role between Christopher Abbott and uh, Ki Hwang Khan. Uh, this one was between Paul Mescal and, and my Farrell. winner, Colin Farrell as Patrick. Um, we're not unclose here. We're actually three out of five. Um, my number five is uh, Brendan Fraser as Charlie and the Whale. A little too big. Uh, I, I get. I mean, beyond. We're gonna. So let's let me get through this, yeah. and then we'll go actually go back and talk about like the whale. I kind of want to talk about the whale on our Oscar episode. Unless you have the whale. I just want to address a couple of things. Okay. My number four is Caleb Landry Jones and Nitram. My number three. Is, I never got to it. I apologize. It's so Nitram was all over like my acting list like originally, and then like as other people kind of crept up, I was like, well, that's kind of you know, one note. That's kind of one note. I think Caleb Landry Jones is a better version of what Brendan Fraser's trying to do mm-hmm. in The Whale, but he's such like a The Whale is such a physical performance. I actually think it like can't be denied. Like of its quality. Yeah, I'd be happy. I'd be fine with Brendan Fraser wins, but yeah, um, I don't think he does. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, I'm actually starting to hope that like those two are two friends here, Brendan Fraser and Colin Farrell, don't like split the vote. And Austin Butler is just kind of like, uh, hey, Mama, accidentally won an Oscar, blah, blah, blah. in a Rami Malek type situation. Um, but Caleb Blaine Jones is is excellent um, as you know, playing this kind of like unhinged, but Vaguely, in a way, sympathetic character. Um, Timothy Chalamet as Lee in Bones and All. I mean, I fucking love that movie. I think Timothy Chalamet is great in it. Colin Farrell is my number two. Paul Mescal is my number one. I mean, yeah, we're on like really similar pages here. And Colin Farrell was like, it could have gone so, either so way. The reason, so <clears throat> I will say this. Paul Mescal, brilliant fucking performance. Um, and I, this is the one I fought with the hardest. Mm-hmm. Um the fact that like Colin Farrell has to balance this like the humor of a Martin McDonald script yes. versus like its pathos and everything, whereas Paul Mescal kind of could just carry this under well like this not underwhelming this underlying dread throughout. Mm-hmm. Maybe go like oh Colin Farrell's doing like slightly more work than Paul Mescal is, but still like literally razor thin margin between the two of them. For yeah, me, I don't know where it is for you, but like pretty razor close. Thin yeah, I, th- I just think Paul, I think the thing that Paul Mescal is kind of accessing um, some deeper things here, but I think Colin Farrell's performance is utterly perfect, um, and it like encompasses more qualities, like like you said about like the humor, the drama, um, the pain, yeah, um, the the kind of joy. Like he's he plays the idea of Patrick perfectly. Paul Mescal does too. I just think that there's like so Paul much- Mescal naked on the edge of the bed just. Fucking weeping, right? And like, because you have this underwhelming sense, like underwhelming, this underlying sense of melancholy and and depression throughout, and it's not until he's crying on the edge of the bed and owning it. And you get it, like when he's on the um, when he's trying to dance but doing the tai chi on the thing, mm. but it's not until he's fucking destroyed on the edge of the bed that you get it. And it's like that's what tells you, like he's fucking dead. Well, I also think like there's there's that scene coupled with the scene where he apologizes to Sophie when they're like the mud bath. Um, yeah. that it's like you just kind of were hoping he would do it and he and he he doesn't shy away from it he owns it like I shouldn't have done it I'm sorry um, you know I try not to look at anything from like an autobiographical perspective like as a dad 
Um, but like, that's the best you can do. I think as a dad is just like, look at your kid and be like, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Yeah. And like own that. Mistake. Well, I think the thing I love about this though, like watching it again with friend of the podcast, Andy was, he's like, Oh, this, you know, like he's a 30 year old actor, like being a, a parent of a 14 year old. I was like, how old is Paul Mezcal? And I looked up, he's fucking 26. And it's just like this. Like he had a lost daughter last year, which he was a, a standout. He was, fine. He, was yeah. a, a, he was a long, long lister for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for a movie that like, I really loved. Um, and normal people. And then people. just suddenly. Normal people, right? Was it? Yeah. Which is a show that I fucking hated. I never watched normal people. Oh, my it's a God. show, right? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's like a one season, like. Mini series. I almost tried to cheat and put like Bill Hader has a original screenplay. <laughs> that would have been good. But uh, no, he's like this. He's gonna fucking. I hope he's, so. It's, we're watching uh, Jesse Buckley, the Florence Pugh. Although Florence Pugh is kind of turning into like the I like money, which get that bag. No, but she's also. I, but she's, she's doing two. She things, likes money, but she she also makes really interesting choices. I think she thought "Don't Worry, Darling" is was an interesting choice. Well, she ended up fucking directing it, apparently. <laughs> so, fucking okay, wild stinks. Um, um, best actress in the leading role. I want you to go first. Okay. So we're skipping the whale, Mario. It's fine. We we will talk about it later. Oh, did you want to just talk about the whale? No, because we're kind of over it. I just I think I think it's fine. I think he's really good. I think I think from a a script standpoint is where it fails. Mario, that script is just atrocious. Yeah. Do you want? Do, do, me, a, do me a favor. After I watched the whale, I watched a community stage performance of the whale mm-hmm. that was posted online and I'll find find it to you and send it to you yeah. with bad actors just to show you how bad that that script is Mario, that's a maybe bad we, fucking maybe play. we should get together like next week and like do like we, we'll drink some to, beers and like, do it at trivia <laughs> right yeah we'll do but my whole family goes to that and it doesn't make any difference and I, I, no, I still got that your two kids could talk about the whale with me the script for the whale is the worst, one of the worst scripts I've ever like encountered on a in film in my whole life. It is I can't I can't even imagine what the stage play is like. Did they change it? If they didn't, they fucking should have. Sadie Sink's character is a disgrace to humans. Um, the Bible pushing, like, you know, missionary. Fuck that guy. What the fuck is happening in that movie? The delivery boy reveal is stupid. <sighs> Why is the aspect ratio like that? Why? Because he watched a Robert Eggers movie and was like, I can do that too. I don't know, Darren Aronofsky, get your shit together. Get back. So, like, Mother's great. I love, I clearly love Mother. Yeah. I love Darren Aronofsky. But, like, get back to, like, but he, like, he, he, he seems so unsure of himself these Didn't days. Didn't you get the impression watching The Whale that he told people he was be Lars, be, Darren Aronofsky, you're Lars von Trier. Be Lars von Trier. Be Lars von Trier. Commit to what you're doing. For, like, like obviously, you don't abuse people. Yeah, but that'd be great if you could. Like it seems like him, him and Jennifer Lawrence had a good relationship, and like they separated and whatnot. And him and Rachel Wise had a good relationship. Yeah. So it seems like he's just a dude. He's not like a monster. But doesn't it seem like true? Is kind of a monster. Yeah, but doesn't it seem like he kind of like told people he was gonna make the whale, and then at some point he was like, I don't want to make the whale, and then they were just like, Oh, but I already got Brendan Fraser and all this stuff, so I guess I got to make the whale. Yeah, because it just seems like it looks good. Which you know, I, I hope I hope it but does lead to something for Brendan Fraser. I, I hope Brendan Fraser has always been a charismatic. He's charismatic. He's excellent shit. in this. He can't keep telling his daughter she's amazing. 
Say something else. He's an angel. But that's all he can say is, you're amazing. And the thing that gets her to stop is him being like, oh, and also you're perfect. And then she's like, well, now I got to listen to this. And she what the fuck, man? No, what happens? He plays uh, Running Up the Hill by Kate Bush. And then she's like, <sighs> oh, my God. I was, there were so many moments of that movie, Mari, where I was just like, I'm fucking done with this movie. But then, like, he, he did a cool thing. And I was like, that's a cool thing. I'll stick it out can for I Brendan Fraser. For you? Good for you. I mean, I was happy. This is the thing. I was happy when when I got there. I was like, cool. I also like how I turned off my mic for that. I'm in theaters, <laughs> and then the aspect ratio was like a an old fashioned TV screen. I was like, why is this happening? Because it's unfortunate. Okay, actress. Actress. Do you want me to? Do you want me to? I'll this? go first. Okay. You're gonna. Be, I think this is the one category you're gonna be mad at me. I'll actually say, I'm going to preface my actress by saying, like, this was a loaded year for actress for me. Yeah, absolutely. I loved it. I, I loved like, having I to make eight, cuts. I had eight, eight of them, and I cut some. I had 11, and I was like, well, I feel I had, bad about I all had these. eight people I got down to, and I had, like, start, like Mia Goth I had to cut. and I felt weird about cutting Mia Goth. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I didn't like it either. I, feel, I, I felt, felt really... I felt worse about cutting somebody else, but the, somebody but, else I prefer. So I'll say this, like, really quick, and maybe Best Actress is, like, a really interesting category that we can talk about. Is that, like... Can mm-hmm. I preface it by saying who I cut? Who? Kate Blanchett. I don't have Kate Blanchett either. We did it! Yeah. It's just, I, I just... I just don't... I, there's a... There's a... There's a point in the movie where whatever One she's doing... One of my doing, nominees might make you mad, but... That's fine. Okay. We'll talk about it. My, there's a point in, that in Tar where whatever Kate Blanchett is doing is not bringing in. It's just like the the the, you, the feelings anymore that like it it should bring in. The the, emo, the movie's completely. It's a great. It's a really exceptionally well done movie. Yeah. Um. And I'm a Todd Field fanboy, but man, am I have never been as detached from movie as as I was. And but she's so. She's on, committed. She's committed to what Todd Field's doing, and Todd Field knows. But Todd. Todd Field is like his own world. There's just a point of there's just a point of diminishing returns, and so the point. I don't think it's diminishing returns. I just think it's like I'm doing my thing. No, if you're here. I think it is diminishing returns because when she when she finally gets hammered for the Me Too stuff, and then the the uh, the people that live next the the kids of the woman that lives next door to her come, and they're like, "We notice you play music," and she's like, "Thank you, thank you," and they're like, "We just want to know when you're not gonna play because we want to show the thing." I'm just like, this is where you have to do something. And then she just plays the accordion. When they start to play Mahler's fifth, 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 ninth, whatever, and she just tackles Mark Strong. I was like, this is where you have to do something. And she doesn't do anything. She's just like, oh, mad. I'm going to just tackle somebody. Um, It was bumming me out. My number five is Frankie Corio for Afterson. Love her. I think she did fucking great. You're not going to have my number four, Tang Wei, for Decision to Leave. Um, you have great. She's great. You have to buy that that performance, and I bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. She's I get why that guy was like, "No, this is uh, my thing." I get her. So I get it too. It felt exploitative to me. You know, it felt like it was kind of like I said. Like, I have a weird way of approaching that movie as a person who was like super into Asian cinema in early two thousands, but I don't feel as though he did a good enough job of making it satire, given the fact that he also made Sympathy for Miss... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, mean. not Sympathy. Uh, he made Lady Vengeance, yep. which creates a stronger sure, character. Sure, sure. 
So I just feel as though it kind of like lost a touch. She is fucking excellent in it. It's just is it's two it's two scenes for me. It's yeah. the when he when she brings him up onto the the um, the rocky like hill there in the night, um, and then when she's in her hole. But she, uh, I'm just like this is a, this is incredible. Whatever like, she's doing here is, is incredible. It's a better femme fatale performance than fucking um, Kim Basinger did in L.A. Confidential. Well, yeah, and that's, but like uh, I'm just saying, it's like the best kind of femme ish fatale performance you've seen in 30 or so years. Unfortunately, it just it reminds this me is of, for me because I don't buy into what the movie. It reminds doing. me a lot of the. It reminds me a lot of the wife in um, Drive My Car, who you obviously don't get to see a lot of because she dies very early in the film, but she wants. She needs something that the the main character, who happens to be man, doesn't understand, mm. and he just can't understand it. And it isn't until the end of the movie, in decision to leave, where and in both of the movies, where like he does understand it, and it's not the man coming around and like figuring something out. It's like, oh, this was there all along. I'm just an idiot. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's not like she was weird and I was great. It's that like. She told me from the very beginning who she was, and I fought it for, you know, however long it was. My number three is Anna de Armas in Blonde, who, poor, poor, poor human. I have no idea what she went through to make that movie. Um, it must have really sucked ass, but she's fucking incredible in it. And I think she, my long list, I buy, I'm buying Anna de Armas stock going forward. Like, Deep Water is a travesty, but that's mostly Ben Affleck's fault. Knives Out is fine, but between... Right, she makes Knives Out. But, she, but, she's, but she's also, like... You could see that, like, the seams of her performance. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, but between see it through the, it. But between James Bond and this, like, she's got she's got skills. And Blade Runner. You just have to... And Blade Runner, but she's kind of, like, in an interesting part in Blade Runner. She's got skills, and people just need to use her correctly. Yeah. Um, number two, again... I was going to make a big speech about this if she was my number one. I know you're, I, I feel as though, wait, before you begin, is your number one Andrew or Riseboro? No. She's my number, number two. two. Shit. I know you're number one then. Taylor Russell. Oh, okay. Um, the vulnerable, Andrew Riseboro is magnificent, but it's also reeks of classically trained film performance. Yeah, yeah. Taylor Russell is the, like one of the most vulnerable performances I've seen in film in a long time. Um, She's new and she hasn't been doing it for a very long time. But that works for her um, here. And she makes Marin like a full character with complications, with wants, with desires, with um, it's almost like an inside out situation. And I'm talking about the Pixar movie where like you can see you can see where like things are like activated inside of her. Yeah. Where like there's disgust, but also joy. Like how those two things kind of work in tandem, she lays that stuff out like perfectly. She's perfect. We only have uh, two crossovers. That's why we're. That's why this is the best podcast in the world. Can you guess the crossovers? Well, I know one is Frankie Corio. Oh, because I did. Because you did a thumb. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming one is Taylor Russell. So my nominees: Andrew Riseborough. Okay. Uh, has Leslie Rollins in Two Leslie. Frankie Corio has Sophie Patterson in After Sun. Anna Maria Vartolome has Anne in mm-hmm. Happening. Vicky Kreps has Empress uh, Isabella in Corsage. Jenny Slate has Marcel. She was on my list for a long Marcel time. Marcel the Shell with Shoes on. She is great. Yeah. Great. I'm 
I don't. I, I thought you would be. I thought there was a possibility you'd be mad with that choice, but no, she was. I thought she was. I loved that movie. No. Um, it, it, the only reason it like didn't like do more on my list is because it like didn't hit. Some I didn't of those rank it. I, kind of specifically things. Um, I don't know. I have no idea who your number one is here. Um, is between Anna uh, Anna Maria of Artemello as Anne and happening. My winner is Frankie Corio. Oh, she's in, so good. As Sophie Patterson in After Sun, she fucking carries every emotional beat in that movie. One of the best child performances, maybe the best child performance I've maybe. ever seen. Yeah. Just it's fully realized. It's and fully realized and fully emotional. Um, it has the complexity of realizing something's wrong, but it also has the emotional innocence of, of being interested in sex and being interested in, in romance. And you can almost uh, it's like the, it is like the, the cutest kind of like little love story between yeah. her and like the chubby kid on the bike, everything about like, it's, it's an adorable performance, but it's also a really, emotional performance and she's just fucking fantastic. Oh, she's so good. She's so good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I heard rumblings at some, like early on in the thing. I just wish there had been more money invested into like getting her nominated. I just don't think they thought that there was a thing that could happen. And then people saw it and they're just like, holy shit. It could have, it could have, I think she could have been a, um, but that's she could have been an Anna Patrick. I think the same thing is happening with Andrew Resborough now with the Oscars. Is like there's all well, these. It seems people like every big wig is like every like major person is, is like, pushing her. Holy shit! Well, which is that's the thing. But nobody's seeing these movies. Like she's my number. She's my three. Andrew um, Resborough and she's magnificent. But like nobody saw two Leslie. Well, you know I didn't see two Leslie until like today. If I didn't, <laughs> if I didn't listen to WTF, I wouldn't like know really that that movie existed. Yeah, and I, I saw. And that's why I saw. That's why the second it was a, out as on, a on demand, burn film independent like you were last year. But the thing I did, I, the second it was on on demand. Oh man, hail! Everyone's ma- the world is mad. I gave it to a child. <laughs> oh no! Oh wait, no, no, this is applause. It's applause from our ten thousand person audience. This is Lawrence Kasdan's whole family out there. Yeah, they're like, yeah, they're just very yeah, excited. Child actors. Is that expected hail? Oh no. Good. Well, that's fun. I'm gonna have water in my basement. Um, where are we now? Uh, we're moving on. Okay, four more awards left. Adapted classic screenplay. Hail. Classic hail. Can't commit itself to like a. My nominees are all Joel McHale. <laughs> okay, so my five nominees for adapted screenplay. Is uh, David Kaj? He's on your list. Yep. Kaj Ganik, is that you say his name? Kaj Ganik. Yeah, for Bones and All. Uh, Marcio Romano and Audrey uh, DeWin for Happening. Matt Reeves and Peter Craig for The Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Koganada for After Yang. And Dean Fleischer Camp, Elizabeth Holm, and Nick Paley for Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Nice. Well, we have a couple of crossovers there. I also have Happening. Um, Wait, are you gonna rank it? Are you my number five. No, 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 no. Oh, you want to pick a winner? Yeah, because I you did your thing, and then I will say this was a pretty decently easy one for me. What is it again? It is Bones and All happening. The Batman after Yang, Marcel the Shell with shoes on. I was it happening. The winner is Dean Flasher Camp, Elizabeth Holm, Nick Paley for Marcel the Shell oh. with shoes on. You are like all in on Marcel the Shell. It's. I mean, it's not my number one movie, but no, um, but like you, at the middle of the year, you were all in on happening. 
Not like all in, but like no, happening. I love happening. Like happening's in my, still in my top ten. I mean, you could tell happening's going to be in my top ten. Um, but no, it's 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 an er- Marcel the Shell with shoes on. We'll talk about it later, but it's an earnest movie. Um, but from a screen stamp, a screenplay standpoint, it's just so concise. And so point by point, it hits and so and hits those notes when it needs to hit those yes. notes. The best um, part about Marcel the show is both that like it, a, a, but it's both written has both a adult movie. Yep, uh, not one starring Lexi Bell or Riley Reed, but like an adult movie for adults and a child's movie, mm-hmm. and hits all those points. Perfectly. Yeah, um, my kids, I saw it with my kids, and they both loved it and found it very sad, um, and they laughed like crazily out loud and still quote stuff to this day. Like peace, well, obviously peace. Um, no, I'm a big war fan. <laughs> I just go around with war. I love that. I love that scene. Um, and it, it hits and all, also, it hits all those beats perfectly. Does it also? No, we'll get to that. We'll get we'll get to that. Okay. When I talk when it's in my top ten. So. My number five is happening. Um, my number four is the wonder. Uh, Emma Donahue, Sebastian Lelio, and Alice. That's Birch. the Florence Pugh movie, right? Florence Pugh movie, I yeah. I didn't end up seeing it. Um, on Netflix, it's good. It's it's. Um, I think it's about like a girl that has some. She's not. Yeah, eating she's not or eating, and um, they think it's a religious. They think it's a religious thing. They think she's like touched by God, and um, they get a couple of people to out there to a nurse and a nun to watch her to okay. see how this happens. Can't talk to each. I, I was going to watch yeah. it for like this, but I just didn't get around. It's to so there's an interesting thing happening with here, like with the happening and the wonder. Is that like happening? I read the happening. Or the happening. I read happening, um, because I bought it at work. Worked for a library. We didn't have it, and I saw the movie, and I was like, "Now we have it." Yeah. Right. Um, I I just kind of wish that they had in the screenplay that they had put a little more subtext into this, like work some more subtext in the screenplay. It's basically just like I should be allowed to have an abortion, and I can't. Kind of it, and you know what I mean. And I just kind of wish there was yeah. like a layer, like just like a, one more layer underneath there, that like, um, not an amount of layers like a Saint Omer amount of layers because that's like a lot of layers, but like just one layer that like that from a from a from a screenplay standpoint that kind of like um, buttressed like everything else that was happening. Um, Three thousand years of longing, George Miller, Augusta Gore. Um, based on um, the Gin and the Nightingale by As um, by it, which I didn't read, um, but I think they did a really good job of of managing what was clearly a COVID movie um, and turning it into something bigger with some very universal themes um, and giving Tilda Swinton and uh, Idris Elba like the exact right thing to say to make to like accentuate the sadness. My number two is uh, Women Talking. Um, Sarah Polly, I think. Um, transposes uh, the novel in a really interesting way. Um, I don't, from a filmmaking standpoint, I don't think it works, but from a word standpoint, I think all the words are good. Yeah. All the words are right. I just don't think they're always, I think the fact that they're being, uh, I think most of the words, are not most of the words, but like a certain, a large percent of the words are being like articulated in voiceover from somebody who kind of like exists, but we're not sure who it is, but they're talking to somebody who doesn't exist yet, like Rooney Mara's kid. Um, is weird, but I think the words are right. And so I'm giving her credit for the words. My number one is bones and all. They took a novel that isn't anything like the book 
They took a novel that isn't anything like the movie and and turned it into something completely different. It's been crazy if they took a novel that's anything like the book. Though. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, weird. It's it's really I I did not enjoy the book, um, and I I hope it's not like the fault of the movie. Like I wanted to be like the movie. I just think the choices that they make in the book are are odd. Yeah. Um, the things that they focus decide to focus on are are weird. And I think they it's like perfect adaptation where they took an idea of a, a thing and they made it something. Else. I think I figured out your number one. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Although, I, we always do that. We always have a, a twist at the end, don't we? We will not have a twist at the end. No. Thanks for spoiling it. Best original screenplay. Uh, she's not nominated for my director, but she is nominated for my screenplay. Marie Krutzker, Corsage. No! <laughs> <laughs> Ari Kachker and Ryan Welch for On the Count of Three, Martin McDonald, The Banshees of Inisher, Charlotte Wells, After Sun, and Tony Kushner and Steven Spielberg for The Fable. Oh, interesting. We have one, we only have one overlap. Martin and it's McDonald. the most obvious one. Yeah. yeah. Did he win for you? Uh, Martin McDonald. Yeah. yeah. He wins. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about it in a second. Um, my number five is Petite Maman, Celine Sciamma. Um, yeah. The, beautiful little it, short it's story. No, it's nowhere. Yeah. It's weird. The, we did, I didn't think it was going to like show up from a performance standpoint or like a, as a, like from a technical standpoint, but I think from a like um, a language and a subtext and a theme standpoint, I think it's really good. And it hinges on expressing those things because it doesn't do anything from like, from a movie standpoint. Um, we're all going to the World's Fair is my number my number four here. Um, it is uh, tightly controlled. I think it makes all the right decisions from a narrative standpoint in developing Casey's character and her descent into like whatever the hell we're all going to the World's Fair is. Um, nothing seems false or phony or, um, you know, tacked on to get another 10 minutes in there. It seems like the development of her character and her kind of like uh, immersion into this online world is is very well earned and, and, and I respect the fucking shit out of it, you know, for what it is. It's, it's this tiny, tiny movie. Um, but there's like a very tight control there. Um, Todd Field in Tar, um, number three. I Like I said, it's a novel. The whole movie is the script, I'm assuming. I'm assuming the script is like 500 pages long, but there's not like a ton of dialogue, but he's just describing every tiny little thing that happened. The hail is, is just the eating things. Is the apocalypse happening outside? Last of Us is happening no. outside, yeah. Um, St. Omer is my number two. I think that I know that it's. I don't think tech, I think technically it's an original script, even though a lot of the things that happened in the courtroom were things that were actually said in the courtroom. But it's not based off of like an actual text. It's like a spotlight thing, yeah. so it's like original, but it's not like original. But I think what they did with the material is like totally fascinating. And my number one is Banshees of Inisherin. It's just like totally perfect. Yeah, it's a perfect script. Um, it's tightly controlled. It's, it's his plays put finally to film. Um, it balances perfectly, like the tragedy and the comedy. Yeah. Um, it balances the anger and the it joy. It has that theater of the absurd aspect to it. But not that absurd. Not, not that absurd, absurd, but it has. But it that's has the whole like, thing. It's kind of it like is. emotional subtext of the theater of the absurd. But the idea of him cutting off his fingers is not. It's absurd, but it's not like nuts. You know what I mean? Well, the entire idea it's measured. of everything, of all these kind of like caricatures being together is theater of the absurd, right? 
it's not absurd that um, Estragon and Vladimir are kind of sitting there waiting for Godot. Mm-hmm. But it is absurd in consideration of everything else. It's concern- and everything, everything beyond um, Javon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always want to say Siobhan. Siobhan kind of like leaving is absurd. Like everyone dealing with this very simple thing. The fact that she's leaving to go to a country that's actively at war. But that's the, and most, she enjoys but that's the most normal thing compared to everything sure. else that's happening on this island. Mm-hmm. But in their component parts, they don't seem um, that weird. But when considered as a whole, it is absurd. Mm-hmm. And like that's why it's kind of like, that's why Martin McDonald's to me like a continuation of the like, Samuel Beckett style of that really. But this is where I feel like he kind of earns that a little bit because everything else up to this point has been to something. So like uh, three billboards is too political. Seven psychopaths is too weird. Imbruge is just number one. So like he is like as a playwright. Imbruge is just like his like. I want to be a filmmaker. Right. Here's as a me, playwright, like, he's throwing all my best stuff at the he's, wall. He's kind of already gotten there. But as a filmmaker, I think he's trying to get the like what he's been doing on stage onto film for a long time. And Banshees is the first time it... Yes. It and it, it feels like it. You know what I mean? It feels like a perfectly executed like piece of art. Yeah. Okay. Two more. Well, one, one more, more category. And then the top ten list. Um, best director. My nominees are Mark McDonald, Banshee's Vinisherin, Charlotte Wells, After Sun, Audrey Dewin, Happening, Dan Trachtenberg, Prey, and Dean Fleischer Camp, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Dean Fleischer Camp is so happy right now. He's like, I can't believe it. It happened. Can't believe it. Um do you, do you want to make do you want to do your top? My do, number your to, do your do your Five to two, and then you'll make your prediction for me, and then you'll tell me your My number five is Christos Nico for Apples. Um, My number four is Martin McDonough for Benches and Asherin. My number three is Alice Diop for St. Omer. Um, It's just so simple, but, like, you can't make something simple like that without, like, a very tight control over what you're doing. My number two is Luca Guadagnino for... Oh, your number one, Charlotte Wells? It is. Oh. She has earned everything that she's going to get this this season. She's and it's my, not much, but she's getting it. She is my number two. Or McDonald. The band she's a bit assured. Yeah, this is my winner. Like I said, everything about that movie is just like too fundamentally perfect. I kind of penalized it for that. Is that fair? Unfair? Uh, it's your award. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I um, I just, I feel like the, the material he had to work with was like a plus and he did exactly what I expected him to do with it. They just, he, he delivered. Uh, it's like, it's like yeah. if you could do a contractor and you're like, he's like, I'm going to give you um, some Oak stairs, not some mahogany stairs. And he gives you Oak stairs. You're like, it could have been mahogany. If you, if it was like a test, I don't know if mahogany <laughs> stairs are good though. Yeah. I don't know what kind of wood is the best for stairs. <laughs> yeah. If you gave like, but probably both of us, or like anyone who's like been paying attention to Martin McDonough, if you gave him a test, like the next scene is going to be Brendan, or Brendan, Brendan Fraser, Colin Farrell walking down the street, and Brendan Gleeson walking down a, like a lane yeah. with like wood or uh, stone walls next to him, um, bleeding a little bit. Colin Farrell and Carrie Connor are be walking like in the opposite direction. What does that look like? Go. You could 
this would be like every shot would be that shot. You know what I mean? It would, would it be, be the exact shot. Would it be? Cause I think like, so. Like there's, I don't know. And that's there's, why it's so, I think that's, no, I, I that's why it's so no, satisfying. That's, that's why I agree with, but I do think there's shots, especially inside of Colm's house that are kind of like a little interesting. Cause they're kind of like slightly off. I think they're Instead all like interesting. It, he like puts it to like a third, right? He puts it like definitely into a third of the screen yeah. and fills the screen with, a lo- fills the, the frame with a lot of blankness. And that's what's interesting. It's just like how empty everything is minus your interactions with people. Well, so this is where... It's the first, It like, next to it. No, even in Bruges. I think it's the first time. Actually, does it with three billboards. But it's the first time where it feels like he's using the cinematic experience to also tell the narrative. See, but I also feel like it's the first time he's given, like, his characters, like, as individuals, an opportunity to speak for themselves, like, cinematically mm-hmm. or, like, visually. So I'm thinking of Barry Keogh and Carrie Condon by the side of that river when he kind of, like, propositions her a little the bit. The lake, yeah. The, where, the river, a lake, before yeah. he decides to kill himself, yeah. Where it's this... It's not quite a medium shot, but it's like a it's like a bust shot. Where it's, it's a two thirds shot. It's um, it's profile. It's, it's, it's like his chest. It's, up. it's from it's from the waist up. I, I see. Right? I feel like it was even higher. Maybe a little like, higher. I feel it was like it's from his chest up. Maybe. And it's almost represent. It's almost. I thought it was from her chest and his waist, but maybe it like could be because he's like he's got his like walking stick up yeah. a couple of times and he's doing stuff. Because I feel as though you. I don't remember. I can't. I'm not gonna look it up. But I feel as though you have to see the turn of his hips. But you do, but you see him turn them. And he definitely, he shifts and he can definitely, he's hitting a couple of other shots within that. But like, I think the main shot that I'm remembering is, is that kind of weight, that chest up shot where he wants to say like, this character is an individual. This character is not, so when we talk about like theater of the absurd or something like that, this character is not part of a system. This character is trying to establish themselves. And that's not something that he uses through the rest of the film. So like when Padraig is yelling at um, Colm in the in the thing, it's Colin Farrell's face. It's Colm sitting at the th- at the table. It's a fairly standard medium shot when he pulls away from it a little bit that you get a little bit of context from where Padraig is. Carrie Condon, Barry Keoghan are trying to be themselves. They're trying to be individuals. They're trying to establish themselves as themselves. And yeah. he like visually like does that. Where in Three Billboards, he's just like, I'm going to show you a thing. I'm going to show you, like, a, I'm going to stage this in, like, a really weird well, There's cool also a way. lot of, like, center shots, like where Catherine Newton and um, Francis Grover talking, like, both of them are, like, centered in the shots. Mm. It's Catherine Newton, right? Her daughter? Or the yeah, friend, the one the, that, the, no, the that works in the... Um, the daughter. It's, um, oh, the that's playing Quantumania. Catherine Newton, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't um, know what her name is. But yeah, it's like I know it's you're very talking centered, about whereas like with this, there's like a real deliberation. But there's also like in Three Billboards is this um, tendency to show people <sighs> from a low angle in conversation. So he does it with Sam Rockwell talking to the the police chief after the fire. He does it in flashback. No, it's, it's not a low angle. It's a, I think it's a high angle. No, it's like a slightly lower angle where the police chief is here and, and, and Sam Rockwell is like, got his back to it so it's lower but like it's a full screen i thought when like you look at sam rockwell and he's talking to the police chief the it's like cameras an, up it's like pointing an, down it's like an established i'm talking about like the establishing got shot it, that it, sets that up so he does that a bunch where it's he's trying to encompass a lot 
he's trying to get a lot in the frame. I get the impression in rebuild or in uh, Banshees. Banshees that he's less worried. He's trying to get the right thing in the frame. He just said everything he's to, he's in the frame. To he's a, trying to get the right thing. He's trying to tell a story right. in Banshees, whereas three billboards, he's trying to like tell a visual story separate from the written story. It's gonna and so number four seems like it's not doing him justice, but I also feel like he's I get what he's he has I understand he has the skills to do this and he did yeah. it right. I don't Christos Nico is the guy I've never heard of, and he did this. 100% correct. Alice Diop took a, had an idea that is like uncinematic and made it cinematic. Alice Diop is what movie again? Saint Omer. Saint Omer. Right. Um, Luca Guadagnino just like sensually blew my mind, and Charlotte Wells is like an explosion, like an ex- explosion of cinematic ideas on screen. Um, so Martin McDonough unfortunately like takes a hit for that. Martin McDonough's kind of just like a. It, he is like the. It is. He is the A plus student. Yes. In the in the class, right? But it's ve- it is very important to me, Mario, and I'm assuming it is to you in like a way that probably it shouldn't be for two people who kind of like disregarded the Oscars and have established like this as like the pinnacle of film for like the year. It's very important to me that he get up on stage and get an Oscar for this movie. Yeah, for something, I, I hope he gets original screenplay. Right. It's it seems it almost can't not. I think Spielberg gets his Oscar in director. So I don't think he gets it in original screenplay. I think they give it to Martin McDonald. I think they're going to split those Oscars up. Everything Everywhere, Best Pictures, Spielberg, Best Actor or Best Director. I think Sarah Pauly is obvious. It's just like cinched up women talking because I think they have to. And I think Martin McDonough takes this. Hopefully. Hopefully he finally gets his Oscar. But it's that time, Tom. We're going to take a quick break. We'll get to the Come 10. back. And best. I almost feel like it's going to be anticlimactic. Maybe yours won't be. I feel like mine will be. Uh, is that lightning? No. Yeah, it was. Um, we're going we're gonna to die. Probably. We're too high. We built this tower too high, Mario. Oh, no. <laughs> well, luckily, we put uh, conductive fields underneath all of our viewers' seats. Yeah, Lawrence so Kasdan's family die. is not safe. They'll die first. And we'll just... Watch the fireworks. If you hear explosions during number two, it's the fireworks <laughs> I'm watching. It's not more hail. It's people popping like popcorn. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll be back in a little bit. Yeah. 